A small town plagued by an impressive thief and his army of bandits, the desperate townsfolk seek out and hire seven mercenaries to protect their home. These magnificent seven teach the people and themselves that some fights are worth more than money. This can only mean one thing. Because <laughs> you said the name of the movie already. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> We're comparing The Magnificent Seven with The Magnificent Seven in this episode of Retro versus Remake. I'm Reggie Parker. And I'm Dan Bulick. Welcome to another episode of Retro vs. Remake. This is the series where we compare movies and the remakes. Join us as we answer the question, should this remake exist? As Reggie said, today's films are Magnificent Seven. Yeah, I didn't know how else to describe it. There's seven guys. They're <laughs> and they're, cool. they're like magnificent or something, like, you know? Good dudes. <laughs> they uh, couldn't be the excellent seven. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, man. Uh, so, the Magnificent Seven, the original, Kind of, the original. Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah, we will. Um, the Magnificent Seven, 1960, starring Yul Brynner, Eli Wallet, Steve McQueen, Horst Buchholz, Charles Bronson, Robert Vaughn, Brad Dexter, James Coburn, Vladimir Sokolov, Jorge Martinez de Hoyos, and Rosenda Monteros. Directed by John Sturgis, written by Walter Bernstein, who was uncredited. He was a blacklisted writer at the time. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, those commies. Um, and William Roberts, who did the screenplay. Um, there's another guy who kind of did some of the Mexico edits, but he's also kind of uncredited. Um, the original script, just to note, because this movie is kind of adapted from um, a Japanese film. It's almost a remake in itself. Yeah. Which we might do. <laughs> I kind of started watching the, the other movie. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe. I, we'll I've seen the original. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. But uh, the original script by Shinobu Hashimoto. Hideo Oguni and Akira Kurosawa. Uh, the screenplay, uh, Shichinen no Samurai, or as we know in English, uh, Seven Samurai. Yeah, Seven Samurai. Which is a classic film from yeah. I believe, 1954. Yeah, and yeah, I, I've seen the original, so mm -hmm. I've never, well, we'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, the music by the, uh, music by the great Elmer Bernstein. The Magnificent Seven, 2016, starring Denzel Washington, Chris Pratt, Ethan Hawke, Vincent D'Onofrio, Byung Hoon Lee, Manuel Garcia Rolfo, Martin Sin Smear, Peter Sarsgaard, and Haley Bennett. Directed by Antoine Fuqua, written by Nick Pazzolato oh, mm -hmm. and Richard Wink. Music by James Horner, who was uh, originally doing the film score, but unfortunately he died in 2015. Then Horner's friend, uh, and score producer Simon Franklin completed the score for uh, for the film. So, all right, that's uh, some background. But uh, Dan, what's your first experience with either film? Okay, uh, like I was getting to before, yeah. um, I had seen The Seven Samurai, which is what Magnificent Seven is based on, but I had never actually seen The Magnificent Seven. Right. So it was interesting to see those, and like I said, maybe we could do that for a future episode. Um, but I had seen the remake. Um, but I saw Antoine Fuqua was directing it, and then you got Denzel and Ethan Hawke, you know, Training Day. So I was like, yeah. I'm on board. So, uh, yeah, I had seen the remake, but not the original until for the series. Yeah. I um, really hadn't seen any of these films. Not Seven Samurai, not uh, Magnificent Seven or The Magnificent Seven. Um, 
kind of coming in cold. I knew a little bit about uh, Seven Samurai before I heard about these Western kind of remakes. Um, so, you know, I was familiar with some of the source material without really seeing it. And I did take some time to start watching a little bit of Seven Samurai and try to finish that. Yeah. But I'm coming in cold, guys. First time seeing mm -hmm. any of this. Which brings us to a synopsis, which, um, weirdly enough, I probably could plug this in for all of those movies <laughs> if I had to, except uh, these are Westerns. But um, <laughs> uh, the synopsis. An impressive thief and his army of hired guns have continuously subjugated a small town for their own personal gain. Pushed to the point of desperation, some of the townspeople seek out help to liberate them from these constant raiders. Taking everything they have of value, these townspeople convince an impressive mercenary to take up their cause. This mercenary is a veteran when it comes to hired guns and sets off to recruit more gunslingers for the job. He assembles a crew of six, and in total they are the Magnificent Seven. When the Seven arrive in town, they are met with more fear than appreciation. The Seven undeterred tell the townsfolk that in order to stop the oppressors, the townsfolk will have to learn how to fight as well. The oppressors will return in a short period, meaning the Seven must train with these novices quickly. When the oppressors come to town, the Magnificent Seven and the townspeople are initially able to fight back the bandits. This enrages the bandit leader who attacks with an even greater force than before. Things look bleak for a while, but the Magnificent Seven draw inspiration that extends beyond monetary gain and are able to turn the tide back into their favor. Bewildered, the oppressive thief can't understand why these seven mercenaries will fight so hard for such a small and poor town. The leader of the seven knows that some fights are about more than money. Although some of the seven died in a fight, this unlikely crew liberated the town and inspired the people. Each movie ends its respective way. Not one damn person <laughs> has the same name. <laughs> same name. Some of them aren't even the same people. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, but you did well. I was able to follow that. Yeah. And, you know, um, in a way, you know, talking about sort of that original Seven Samurai film, I think the reason that these movies um, picked this storyline, because it's, it's really kind of understandable yeah. story. It was, it's a it's a really easy story to follow. People mm -hmm. are being oppressed. They need help. These noble people come, and then they yeah. ultimately are able to free the oppressed. Yep. You know, it's a tale as old as time. Tale at least as old as nineteen fifty four. So yeah, um, even though you know we didn't share a lot of names, I mean, ultimately the story stands up. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So. And I, just before we get into the character comparisons, like, I get, like, not wanting the same names, because then there's that one-to-one -one comparison yeah, again. It's like, it's like, oh, is he going to, is Denzel, like, he is, like, the Chris character, which we'll get to, but they didn't call him Chris, so he doesn't right. have to be the same, right? right? So it's easier for the actors, I feel, too, to from their performances. Yeah, I, I do think, um, you know, of course we're going to get into characters, but I, I did feel exactly that, that I didn't have to worry about, eh, he's not doing it the right. same way as this exactly. guy, which some of the films we watch, uh, we do get caught up in that because mm -hmm. you named them the same, you yeah. made them the same. Yeah, yeah. but, but kind of like, uh, I'll go back way back to our yeah. episode two, Karate Kid. It was like different characters. Right. So it's like, all right, you're not smearing like any nostalgia mm -hmm. anybody might have mm -hmm. for these characters. So I was fine with the name changes. Yeah, I think, I think it works because uh, going back to another episode, you watch something like The Producers and it's like, right. these guys are giving a decent performance, but right. comparing them to the exactly. first. Exactly, exactly. Well, uh, smart choice by... Fuqua and crew. Um, so, just starting out, uh, easiest way to dive into this is character comparisons. And let's start with the seven. Um, you, you always got to focus on the leader of the crew. Of course. Uh, Yul Brenner plays Chris Adams. 
right on. Who's a Cajun gunslinger and a leader of uh, His Magnificent Seven. And in the 2016 remake, we got Denzel Washington as Sam Chisholm. Man carries a gun, he tends to use it. A United States Marshal warrant officer from Wichita, Kansas, and the leader of his respective set. Right. Um, immediately kind of going into the comparison for me, uh, Yul Brenner is a very sort of understated kind of lead. You know, like, mm -hmm. he's got kind of one gear <laughs> the whole film, which I think actually, for me, works, right? Like, he, he's a confident guy. Um, he's like, people are like naturally drawn to him and he just kind of leads by just the strength of his presence versus I think in a remake, um, they have Denzel be more of like an action oriented lead. You actually see him in action before you really like even know who he is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yul Brenner comes across as like, um, this is this is he's our main good guy, mm -hmm. and then you feel like everything he does is yeah. like all his motivations are good. Like there's no like gray area with him. Like you know, whatever he, his decisions are, it's going to be for the greater good. Um, De since Denzel doesn't like he doesn't really exude that, I guess no. because in his introduction, he's already just like shooting people, right? right. <laughs> he's just shooting up a bar. So um, while he's like. Deputized, sure. I suppose um, it's just not as clear, right? Um, but that his character is is like you'll run her. It's got that loose Western thing where it's like, okay, sure you you've got the warrant and you killed mm -hmm. the guy, <laughs> but you're, you know your methods are questionable. Right. Like he has to convince the people in town, hey, look, don't shoot right. me. I um, have a piece of paper that says I could do this. <laughs> that that's a bad guy. And like to your point, like you really don't know where you stand because. In that intro, uh, the Chris Pratt character, who we'll talk about, is in the scene, and you're seeing him react to Denzel coming in. You're seeing everyone getting all tense and nervous, and it's like, and, you know, it, it, symbolically, he comes in with a black hat, which uh, is, you know, right. is he the good guy? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny that Westerns have broken down in the, you know, the white hats versus the black hats, but, uh, yeah, what's this guy's motivation? You know, we start to kind of unwrap that later in the film, but... Um, you're right, it's that ambiguous space of, is this a good guy? Versus Yul Brenner, who's just like, one of the first things he does is just like, a, a good guy act. And, um, you know, it's just, it's easier to immediately recognize him as, as like, a force for good. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in this remake, it's it's just more vague, like, who's good, who's bad? Yeah, because Yul Brenner, his introduction is there's this guy who died, and they're trying to get him buried, mm -hmm. and there's people protesting, we don't want him to get buried. Yeah. It's like, what's his deal? Well, he's got Indian blood in him a little bit. So he's like, old Sam. <laughs> he's like, I don't care, I'll, I'll take him. He's like, Yul Brenner's just like, it's, it's the right thing to yeah. do, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to Denzel, he's kind of just after this guy who did this crime and you know like you said he's a he's a deputy so it's, mm -hmm. it's more it's the job yeah. right it's not because well it's the right thing to right. do so right. there's the difference between them right there yeah because even uh even that he sets this uh this early precedent um in the film Yul Brenner that it's not really about the money you know it's yeah. not like a high paying job he really doesn't have any uh as they say skin in the game he's just like oh, fuck that you guys don't you're not gonna bury him with literal cutthroats and thieves because right. <laughs> of the color of his skin. It's like, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive this hearse through town. He's like, well, uh, and even more so, you know, it's not about the money 
Because he's like, man, I'll pay if we mess up your stagecoach. It's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so he's not racist. <laughs> Great start. Great start. <laughs> Pretty good guy. Um, he's got some sense of, like, honor, and he's willing to take a risk for, um, like you mentioned, like, the right thing. Um, he's a just man. And, uh, you know, we get introduced to another part of the seven in that scene as well. But, like, uh, immediately these guys are a force for good. Um, Denzel, and this is kind of consistent throughout, yeah, it's about the job. Yes, it's about the good, but there's a, it's more like a, it's more mercenary in the sense of like retribution. Like that, it's kind of a ongoing theme for him. So like when he takes out these guys in the bar with some collateral damage, um, <laughs> uh, you know, in general, it's like, that's a bad guy. Um, I'm taking him in. Uh, I'm getting revenge either for myself or for someone else. And that seems to be more of his motivation early on in the film. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I I um I will say that because the movie makes a lot of uh, the remake, the remake remake <laughs> makes a, <laughs> a lot of narrative choices like that. Um, uh, depending on your taste, like you may or may not like it. Like I really think the uh, the scene where they go to bury the Native American um, is a powerful scene mm -hmm. and like does so much in such a short amount of right. time. Like, um, it, it shows one that they have honor. Like I said, they're not racist. Um, when they encounter like people in town, they're like, screw that. You, you're not burying them. Uh, you're going to have to shoot me. Josh it. Josh it. You know, so, like you see their chops too in that moment too. So it's like, all right, you, we've established, um, the character like alignment, basically like lawful good here, kind of, um, and then we show that they're like they're handy with uh, with a gun as well, right? Which you still get with Denzel, but it's just you don't quite get like you mentioned the you don't know his ethics, and that's right. a big difference early on. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a lot more to talk about these characters, but yeah. it's kind of hard without yeah, bringing without. in the others. So maybe should we bring in because we keep you talked about Chris Pratt's character yeah. already. So. I, I think the way the movie is structured, you do need to at yeah. least bring Chris Pratt into the yeah, yeah, yeah. conversation. So um, uh, we mentioned in uh, the original, you know, Yul Brynner and Denzel uh, in the remake, but Steve McQueen plays Ben Tanner, who's kind of a drifter in the 1960 original film. We deal in lead, friend. So do I. We're in the same business, huh? Only as competitors. Uh, he kind of happens across uh, that scene we're talking about where Yul Brynner's like, I'll bear him. He's like, I'd like to see that. <laughs> and he just kind of all right, uh, I guess we're getting into... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm doing this now. <laughs> yeah. well, what else was I doing? And Chris Pratt, in a, in a similar way, there is, you know, continuity sort of between these types of characters, plays Joshua Faraday, who's a gambler, a rogue, and he has a fondness for explosives <laughs> and uh, card tricks. What's the plan? I'm always wanting to blow something up. Is that a plan? Um, it same kind of intro like neither of these parties really know each other um they're kind of honor bound in some sort of like you know macho kind of western code and that's kind of their alignment but uh i would say a big difference to me is like steve mcqueen um he he could have been anybody like, he's kind of like <laughs> a, a placeholder type character like they, he has good interactions with yul brenner but like 
Chris Pratt is, um, as we would expect from Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt is Chris Pratt. Yeah, yeah. Much. He's like he's like a Ryan Reynolds type. You mm-hmm. hire Ryan Reynolds to be Ryan Reynolds. You hire Chris Pratt to be Chris yep. Pratt. Yep. So well, that's good. That makes sense. Like I just found it like a little bit off. Like because he was he was cracking his jokes as Chris yeah. Pratt does, and while they were funny, it's just like in the context they didn't yeah. all land. Like Star Lord in a Western. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like all these serious guys, and he's just cracking jokes here, and it's it's not like horrible, but they just, right. for me, it just they weren't landing like they could have. Right, right. And like some of the things they choose to show his kind of chops, as we were saying, like his first real interaction besides like stealing the money <laughs> on the way out of the right. bar. Um, there's like these two uh, kind of rough guys that are mad at him about you know getting cheated out of something. And he basically, it's just a weird team. It's like, is this your card? I'm like, are we, are we, <laughs> what are we doing here? Are we doing this? <laughs> are we doing this? And like, all right, you know, ultimately it resolves with like, he's a bit of a trickster. It's like, all right, you're looking at the cards. You're not looking at my gun and stuff like that. So like, yeah, that's character building. But to your point, like, it doesn't really totally fit with anything else right. in the film. Well, it's not heroic at all. It's, no. it's, 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 it's going to be in sneaky and tricky. Yeah. Double-crossing somebody, in a way. Um, which is a big difference between the two characters. Because Steve McQueen's Vin, um, just like Yul Brenner's Chris, is mm-hmm. the reason... Yeah. Their introduction is for the greater good. Yes. Right? Like, yeah. I'm going to drive this wagon, and, well, I'm going to be your guns yeah. on the wagon. And, again, not for money, because it's the right thing right. to do. That's right. why these two guys get together, because they're both decided to do the right thing. And they both kind of like impress each other. Like, okay, you're good at that, and I'm good at this. So yeah. there's a mutual respect there, like pretty immediately. And uh, you don't really have that uh, between Denzel and, <laughs> and Chris Pratt, um, where I would consider Chris and Vin almost to be equals. Mm-hmm. Almost, I'd say give Chris a little bit more, but they're more equals than I would say um, Denzel and Chris Pratt because the whole reason they get together is because Chris Pratt needs his horse and he right. can't eat the guy's like well you can't have it and he's like Denzel's like I'll buy it yeah. and then now you got to do what I say because I bought your horse yeah. so yeah. it's like immediately <laughs> there's this power there's this dynamic between Co- the two of them and Denzel's way on top completely um yeah Chris Pratt had his horse impounded I think <laughs> um and again like with more jokes like the uh it's like a short Irish guy who took his horse and he makes like a leprechaun crack yeah. and stuff like that it was like okay but when you are the jokester and you have like um Denzel who's just like comes into town, right? yeah, right, shooting everybody. I'm a lawman, and Chris Pratt's like, <laughs> Look at my car, you're a leprechaun. It's like, All right, um, interesting, but you're right, that power dynamic is established right there. And I, to your point, I never really felt like Chris Pratt and Denzel really like get along the way that like Chris and Ben do in right. the original. Yeah. And and your point is, you know, well taken that um Vin in that scene with the stagecoach and you know the burial um doesn't have to do much. Just riding a right. shotgun mm-hmm. puts him as like, all right, you're still like the leader and he's deferred that to Chris, but like you feel like if Chris were to, like, say, fall in battle, like, Ben could step in mm. very easily and pretty much do a lot of the same stuff. Right. So there is that equality um, in their acting, and I think it's because they, this original film has taken on this, like, gritty, like, right. um, tough. Like, the whole point is they're all tough. <laughs> um, 
And I think the remake, as we'll see as we go through characters, tries to differentiate the characters a bit more. Right, yeah. Um, because of acting. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's like, I like, it's like I like Chris Pratt, but, like, mm-hmm. I almost, in a weird roundabout way, which I guess I'm jumping the gun here, I almost wish that, like, Ethan Hawke somehow yeah. fit that. I think that would have made more sense. <laughs> <laughs> it it would have been. I would have seen them a lot more as equals. Yeah, I guess, sure. I guess we should just go there since we brought him up. Um, All right. Well, let me just say one more thing about sure. Chris Pratt. I know we're like bragging oh, on him here, but like, yeah, it just it it was like you said, Star Lord in a Western. Yes. Because like, I don't even know if he had an accent. Sometimes I feel <laughs> an accent. Sometimes he wouldn't. And then he's like talking about the the War of Northern Aggression. It's like, aren't you from there? You have a Northern accent. You, right. So it's yeah, it was it was a little distracting because it's like I didn't see Faraday. I saw Chris Pratt. That's a movie. great point. Like I was watching the film, and he's just, he is kind of all over the place. Like I never really read him as. Uh, Guy in the Western. I did no. just read him. I did read him as Chris Pratt. First, like uh, like I mentioned, and we will mention, like Ethan Hawke. I was like, oh yeah, no. Yo, like, Ethan Hawke sells it. Yeah. <laughs> he he did his work. Yeah. I didn't I didn't feel like I was I was watching Denzel. I was like, all right, here's right. this guy. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah, I don't know. And and I think you know, like you said, not to rag on him. I think that that's kind of what he was hired to do was to bring some yeah. levity to yeah, a uh, sure. otherwise really like again that masculine grit plot um and you know it's, it's popular i think he's a good actor but yeah, mm-hmm. it just it felt like the tone that he got and the consistency of the accent mm-hmm. and backstory and stuff like that didn't feel like it was there for uh for this character yeah so mm-hmm. um slight edge of steve mcqueen who to be honest in my opinion too isn't really giving like a great performance right, right, right. Yeah. um but by just kind of like sliding into that that macho man role, like um, uh, Stephen McQueen is doing what I think the movie needs him to do versus this, where it feels distracting. Like there's there's nothing else in the movie like what Chris Pratt's doing. Yeah. So interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> moving up forward, um, we got two characters that are kind of more one to one in uh, in this film. We got Robert Vaughn from the original nineteen sixty film, who plays Lee, who's sort of a traumatized veteran. Insults swallowed, none. Enemies, none. No enemies. Alive. And then Ethan Hawke as Goodnight Robisha, another Cajun former Confederate soldier and a sharpshooter who suffers from PTSD. A sense we are bonding. So both of these characters, um, um, I guess as you would say it in those films, have lost their nerve. Um, when gunfights arise, they're both, um, yeah, they, they can't shoot. You know, that's a big problem early on in the film. I, I will say, though, that like... Um, Ethan Hawke is just a much, much more fleshed out yeah. Robichaud's character. He is more of an art, for sure. Completely more of an art. Whereas, like, Robert Vaughn is like, oh, you know, I'm a little nervous. I like his gloves. They're kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know much about him. He's kind of like a background He's guy. very much in the background. I'd say of the seven, he gets the least amount of screen time. Mm-hmm. Like, 
I was surprised that you had that much information. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I don't remember. I barely Wait, remember you. anything. Yeah, it's I, like you see him have a nightmare, mm -hmm. so you know he has a little bit of the PTSD. He kind yeah. of tries to play it tough, like I got no enemies. Yeah. So, and then he like, later he's like, Yeah, I got plenty of enemies. I'm kind of fucked here. <laughs> um, and then, uh, <laughs> and uh, the only thing, the most memorable thing for me was his death because it was so weird. Yeah, he like ties against the wall and he's kind of like making out with the wall. He falls slowly. Yeah. He fell funny. Kind he of like, <laughs> like in Departed. He fell funny. Yeah. He was, um, he was an interesting character in the sense of he just. He felt different than everybody else in the film. Which, yeah. Which kind of makes sense because, like, you had the one guy who, like, he no longer quote unquote has it. Um, there's an arc because at some point he may find it, but uh, he really, in a movie where like to show off like your place in the hierarchy, you got to kind of shoot stuff. <laughs> you got to shoot stuff. You got to throw a knife um, <laughs> to uh, to be one of the toughs. Um, yeah, I think having this PTSD, which gives him you know character depth, but like. It also takes him out of this film because it's not that type of film. It's not right. like we're not exploring human psychology. We're we're gonna shoot up uh, some bandits, you know. But it does help play into the overall narrative that like the lifestyle he's been living isn't isn't yeah. working out that yeah. well for yeah. him. Yeah, that that I think um, really comes through a lot in the original when uh, their lifestyle, which their characters that are. Or super like, wow, that's so cool. You guys are like so cool. And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> and, and you're right. Robert Vaughn's Lee is kind of like the first foray into this concept of, yeah, is this good? Ethan <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Hawke, I kind of I kind of like the, the intro for him. There's this sort of like, you know, post like the war Western part where like the West is starting to kind of become mm -hmm. more modernized. And you still got kind of showmen like him who were like famous old yeah. gunslingers. Right. Now he's basically like, you know, he's a tourist trap kind of. Like <laughs> people come to town, they watch like little, you know, shows and stuff like that. You know, they can get violent though. I, I thought that that was interesting to have like Robichaud have that much background leading up to him. And I did feel like I had a feeling of who this character was, even though I don't really know much about him. Yeah. Time. Yeah, his his fame preceded him. Like mm -hmm. when Denzel's like, "You gotta find Robichaud," and he's like, "Good night, Robichaud." Yeah. Chris Pratt knew immediately, and then like when he's collecting money, and then like the one guy's like, "I'm not paying, man." He's like, "I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Robichaud. My friend's is just a little drunk." He's like, "Oh, you're you're good night, Robichaud. I don't know. You, it's okay. You can pay me double." Right. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I guess yeah. I'll do that because yeah, he was a sharpshooter and he was really good because yeah. everybody's scared of him. Everybody knows about him, but we never see him shoot because. He's got this trauma that yeah. we learn about later in the film. And, you know, Ethan does a great job with it. Phenomenal. But you kind of see where it's going. It's like, yeah. okay, he's not going to shoot now, but yeah. we know he's going to not shoot. Yeah, eventually. So it's not the most original <laughs> no. No. arc, but at least it is more to play with than, like, Lee yeah. in the original. Yeah. And what, what's kind of cool about it and why I think it works in the remake with uh, Ethan Hawke is that because his fame precedes him, it's kind of like the school bully. Like you don't have to really do anything anymore. Like you're the school, <laughs> you're the school bully. Like oh, we're afraid of you. Here's money, right? So like he doesn't even have to like flex um, 
that muscle anymore. And I guess just the because his character is tied into another character, um, he's kind of farmed out that responsibility of like actually right. being quick on the draw or like using the weapons to uh, his um, kind of like business partner, yeah. Ward almost. Um, just to kind of jump here, in the original film, there's a character uh, played by James Coburn called Britt, who's like, has a similar scene where uh, there's a draw and he's like, hey, look, man, uh, yeah, I don't think you want to do this. And he's like, no, I want, I want to shoot. And uh, he pulls out a knife and just kills the guy. Um, uh, Ethan Hawke's Goodnight Robichaux has like basically a partner played by uh, Byung Hoon Lee, who's uh, the character's name is Billy Rocks. And that, he's basically a knife-wielding Korean assassin and Robichaux's traveling companion. Um, I love the inclusion of Billy Rocks here because I think, you know, having like the knife guy in the original film, I mean, that was cool. It's kind of like a one-trick pony mm -hmm. versus like uh, Billy Rocks who shows more of this, the actual kind of racial dynamics and stuff like that. And he's right. like, it's like, oh, I'm just as tough as all you guys, but I'm Asian, so I can't like go into town and just like um, do stuff. So I hang out with Robichaux. Right. Robichaux's like, yeah, that works for me because I don't want to shoot anybody anymore. <laughs> So I'm hanging out with this guy who's like yeah. pretty tough. Which is really the only time the issue of race comes up. Yeah, really. Because it's a very diverse cast. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that, that's just Ethan Hawke just explaining like how he met Billy. He's like, well, they wouldn't serve him. I was like, yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, you know, like, um, you would think, and I, I think the movie kind of smartly just doesn't address this. You think that the issue of race would come up like Denzel? Right. And it, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't. Mm, right. Like, Since the North, the War of Northern Aggression is so right. fresh in everybody's <laughs> mind. Yeah, I mean, but, like, I, you know, like, I think just for narrative purposes, they just make that simple. It's like, yeah. okay, he's tough. We don't have to question whether people would allow him to go into town and shoot people. Um, we just, that's just a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Versus here, where, like, now it's a sticking point <laughs> with uh, Byung Hong Lee, but, like, uh, I think it does help Lynn. Um, like some sort of narrative credibility to the uh, to the film in that sense. They're like, yeah, there is racial animus uh, in this time period. So, um, and just such a to me, it's such an elevation. Like I actually kind of gave a shit about him versus <laughs> like uh, James Coburn's character. Who like, uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like the knife thing was kind of cool, <laughs> and you know, they kind of kept going back to the well with the knife, but. Uh, uh, this is one of the times I would say Ethan Hawke and um, uh, Byung's character in tandem are clearly an elevation from the original kind of remake, I guess. Yeah, I give it. I definitely would give it to Robichaud, Ethan Hawke's character. Mm -hmm. Like, definitely a lot more fleshed out. He has like a lot of those kind of idioms that he goes like, "You yeah. cut the ears off a dog, you don't make it a horse." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, you make this up, or <laughs> you have these prepared. That's um, funny. So that's good. Um, as far as Billy Rocks, um, I suppose it's a little bit of an upgrade because he does have that back and forth mm -hmm. with Robichaud, but after that introduction, he doesn't really yeah, do much. Yeah, he, he, he falls back. Yeah, he, he doesn't have much of an arc. It's just, he's, yeah, he's badass in the fights because he's fighting with knives sometimes, mm -hmm. so that's really cool. Yeah. But as much like for like giving this character a story or just developing more, they right. don't really. Nah, they, like the main thing that he does is like he just has Robichaud's back because yeah. he knows something's up. 
He's like, well, right. come on, man. <laughs> like, like, there's a scene where Robichaud doesn't shoot his gun, and Chris Pratt's like, come on, yeah. fire. <laughs> and uh, Billy Rocks is like, uh, gun shit. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, total bullshit. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do like that they have each other's back, which that is fair. Um, honestly, any character development is probably an improvement <laughs> in this film. <laughs> so, uh, hey, I, I like the Billy Ross character, but you are right. After that initial scene, he does kind of fade. Because there's more, um, there's other characters that have bigger personalities, yes. we'll say. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of big personalities... Uh, in the original film, Charles Bronson. Hey, this. <laughs> <laughs> totally, from Death Wish. Go back and watch that. Um, Charles Bronson uh, plays Bernardo O'Reilly. Squee! I'll tell you what. Don't shoot the gun. Take the gun like this, and you'll use it like a club. Who's a, a professional in need of money. And Vincent Donofrio in 2016 plays Jack Horn, a devoutly religious mountain man and tracker, and I'm going to add, and psychopath. (laughs) 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 Um, These are kind of like your your burly toughs. Like if it's like a fighting game, it'd be like the Zangief type character. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Charles Bronson's Bernardo... um, kind of going back into like the race up has this like interesting thing where he's, he's both Mexican and Irish. Yeah. And you know, kind of cool. Um, it comes into play. Um, one thing we didn't really press on is that, uh, in the original film, the town that they're defending is like a Mexican village. Right. Whereas the remake was just kind of like what, like Southern town, Northern town. I think that's gotta be a Southern town. Yeah. Some like random Southern, you know, town basically. So like, um, but not Spanish people, all white. I mean, yeah, pretty much just white guys. Yeah. Um, I don't think there were any Spanish people in the original. Just walk past that. Um, but uh, Charles Bronson, uh, at one point in the film, forges a connection with like uh, some of the young kids in town. Who were like, yeah. Bernardo, you like us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fight. If you die, we'll pick up your gun. It's like, oh, thanks, yeah. thanks, kid. Um, so that was kind of cool, and Vincent D'Onofrio just like he's a huge guy. People are like oh, is this guy like basically is this guy a bear or is he like a yeah. man? I'll and, give it to Chris Pratt. He had one funny line: "That yeah. bear is wearing a human suit." <laughs> yeah, that, that was a line. That was pretty funny. But like, you know, he immediately comes out like he's got beef with the, these two brothers, and kills him immediately, and he just like his whole character arc is he's an expert tracker. But every time he's murdering someone, he's like, Jesus, the Lord. I'm like, dude, you've got to stop stabbing people and uh, quoting Bible verses. Um, uh, yeah, so Vincent Donofrio's character has an imposing sort of, um, you know, he's an imposing size and, you know, the religious thing. But other than that, there's not much to him. Uh, Charles Bronson, again, not really that much to him, but the the Irish-Mexican thing comes into play. And, yeah. In an interesting way, and I think he uh, he helps humanize some of the townsfolk towards the end of the movie, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I really like that moment um, with Bernardo O'Reilly where he's like talking to Chris. He's like, "Yeah, he's like Bernardo," because the the kids know his name is Bernardo. He's like, "Yeah, Spanish 
half Spanish first name or Spanish first name, Irish last name, and then me in the middle. So yeah. I was like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. And uh, he, yeah, he's this rugged, tough guy. You know, when we see him, he's, he's chopping wood. Yeah. What did you gotta do to show you're a tough guy? A tough guy. Chopping that wood. And you know, the village kids do take a liking to him, and it's they kind of, you know, they're they're really. He starts to warm up to them, I guess is what I want to say. Yeah. And and ultimately. You know, they say we will mourn for you if you yeah. die, and then yeah. it does kind of come full circle yeah. because he is one of the seven that dies, and it's you know, it's not it's not a lot, but it's I thought it was enough, and I, re I really liked it. I thought it was sweet I, to see him, you know, get along with those kids because at first he's like, get out of here, you yeah, kids, yeah. and they are, are troublesome because they do kind of get in the line of yeah, fire yeah. at the most inappropriate times. But you know, it's just really sweet to have these kids constantly like just like rooting for him and then him, yeah. him finally like kind of warming up to them and like you know sometimes just getting a little too angry at them yeah yeah <laughs> like these are your fathers <laughs> don't know what I'm saying yeah. like, your father's like damn all right I'm take it down just a little bit but you know it's just nice to see like you said just these seven just how they bond with the yeah. village yeah. which is something I think we definitely got a lot more in that cool. original film so much more in the original and um this Bernardo character in a way because like he's you know, we talk about characters that kind of fade in the background. He actually starts coming to the forefront towards the end of the right. film. Yeah. And um, like I say, he makes his connection because, like, you got these tough mercenaries, these Magnificent Seven, but he's kind of one of the first guys to kind of espouse the the virtue or the benefit of being like the village people, being like the, uh, the young kid's father. It's like, yeah, they're simple farmers, but, like, they've got responsibilities. they got families. We don't. Right. And... He's like, they got courage. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, while kind of maintaining this, this insanely tough guy veneer, <laughs> like, towards the end, he's like, what's my name? Bernardo. Damn right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, okay. Weird. But, like, he really actually is one of the first introductions to this concept of, like, the seven may not have lived their best lives, even though it seems like they're, they have this idyllic kind of, you know, no one's their boss lifestyle, but it's like, man, you know, like there's something to being a simple farmer, and mm -hmm. uh, you get a lot out of that one character. Yeah, um, it's a surprising amount. Surprisingly, exactly. And it's not bad. It, it's really good, and I'm happy that they put it in the film because it so, does, you know, take away from that. I guess that machismo that they're yeah. always going for. Yeah. And then you have Vincent D'Onofrio's character, who, like you said, that introduction, you see him like you know, just really being rugged and tough yeah. and taking out two guys with like an axe and, and yeah he's crazy and yeah. he always quoting religious things to kind of justify his murders or sure and, but he doesn't really have much after that mm -hmm. right he's kind of just there he's he kind of has a, a death <laughs> he yeah. also dies but there's not like much to it and it felt like it didn't feel like there's a lot of weight behind it you know yeah when that happens and I think it's because, uh, unfortunately, he's kind of a one-note character. He's like a burly Bible quoter. Like, that's kind of it. Whereas, like, the, the simple thing of making Bernardo, Bernardo, <laughs> uh, just elevates his character in the film and, like, um, really ties him into that village that, you know, we'll talk more about. Yeah, like, Vincent D'Onofrio has this backstory where I think he had a wife or something yeah. like that, but... Doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, and you know, in a film where, like, you're tr you actually include a more diverse cast, right? D uh, this is D'Onofrio. Jesus Christ. Yeah, D'Onofrio. Yeah, D'Onofrio. You've been saying D'Onofrio, but it's, yeah. it's D'Onofrio. Yeah. Okay. This is D'Onofrio's uh, character. 
Um, his backstory is basically like, oh yeah, he used to like collect Native American scalps for like bounties. Yeah. Kind of rough <laughs> when like the crew is ultimately going to end up, uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah, like cool. You know, you have the wife, the Bible, but it's like, but you also like murdered people for money. So like, I, it, I don't know. Uh, I just felt like the the Bernardo arc was more consistent. Um, weirdly, <laughs> <laughs> so um, moving kind of forward. Like I, I did bring up Native American, but like I will kind of keep going more like towards the order. Um, these two characters to me, um, maybe the least important characters for me. <laughs> you got Brad Dexter as Harry Luck, the fortune seeker. Brad Dexter. Uh, well, now Harry's pretty decent. We'll talk about that. Um, and then you've got Manuel Garcia Rufo as Vasquez, who's a Mexican outlaw who has been on the run for several months. He's local, my friend. I was about to say they're not that important, but actually I do like Harry Luck's uh, character arc because he's constantly saying, Chris, like, yeah, what's this really about? <laughs> I know, $20, Chris, because I love it. $20, yeah. But uh, what are we talking, gold? <laughs> Silver? <laughs> That's a fun arc in... Um, it allows for him to have like a, a pretty bittersweet moment at right. one point in the film. Um, I don't really have a huge read on like Vasquez, you know, like he kind of got the jump on him at one point in the film, like when they first meet, like uh, yeah. in that like shack with the dead guy in it. Yeah. Like his only motivation is like, I got a lot of warrants and I really, <laughs> I really love a pardon. <laughs> um, I just didn't feel like I had any real connection with Manuel uh, Garcia Rufo's character. Like, I just, he just seemed like he was there. Yeah, he was really, like, I guess you want to talk about, like, the least important character of the Seven in the remake. He's, yeah. he's definitely that yeah. guy, because what does he really bring to the table? Like you said, he's got that interesting backstory where he's a wanted man, and Denzel's like, well, you'll have one less, one less man looking for you yeah. if uh, <laughs> you do do this. And then he's like, okay. And then after that, you just... Sure, he's in some gunfights, but he doesn't really do anything. I can't even remember him like contributing in any conversations or anything. I don't recall. I don't recall. Yeah, I don't know. No. Maybe he had, was he the one that had the interaction with Chris Pratt who was trying to tell him, like, there's three things you gotta know. Like, something like that, but like, it, there's just not much there. Yeah, um, there's not much. It, I don't even know if he has an arc. I, I'm trying to even remember. He lives, right? I don't know. <laughs> I can't. I don't He's know. such a forgettable character. I'm pretty sure he lives. Yeah. I'll try, <laughs> I'll try to get a hold of who doesn't make it towards but, uh But Harry, um, again, he's not the strongest character, <laughs> but he, he is memorable. Uh, again, we do see him interacting with the townspeople yeah. a lot more. And again, it's mostly just like, so where's so the gold? Yeah, yeah, what, do you, what do you got? Silver, gold? That's what I've heard. Like, he's trying to like lie to these people. Like, oh, I've heard. No, you can tell me because I've heard already. That's <laughs> 10 gold, gold, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then they're fucking with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do have all that stuff. So, so um, yeah, so, you know, he's got some of the funnier beats in the original yeah. for sure. And, you know, he does have that bittersweet kind of end. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of occupies, in a more muted way, some of the space that like, Chris Pratt's character occupies. Because there is 
the humor. I think he is the one that tells a story about the guy falling from the five-story building. No, uh, no I think uh, that was actually Steve McQueen. Oh, uh, that was McQueen? Okay, yeah. that makes sense, which is consistent, actually. Um, but, like, besides that, like, the Aztec gold stuff is, yeah. like, uh, that's really where his humor comes in. And it, this is something so fun about this guy. It's like, what are we really doing this for? <laughs> Um, and who like ultimately never really knows that the score is the score. Right. Yeah. It's a uh, fascinating, um, uh, in that way, but really besides that, there's not much to either of those two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, uh, I guess the wiki kind of lumps these two together. <laughs> I, I don't see this connection. No, there's not. He has more, uh, as you're talking about, you're talking about Horace Buckwold says Chico, um, the young hot blood shot. Got it. Young, hot-blooded shooters. Shooters? Young, hot-blooded... <laughs> young, hot-blooded cowboy. We'll call it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, he definitely does not have much, if anything, in common with Martin Sisminer's Red Harvest. Um, the X... He's like an exiled Comanche warrior, and oh. he's okay. So I guess the comparison though is Red Harvest is the youngest, so that's the only consistency. No, nah, but I'd say Chico has more in common so for sure. Important. More with like Chris Pratt's character. Yeah, he I mean, does. He does, but like he's still like as much as Chris Pratt's in the movie, Chico's so much more important than uh, Chris Pratt's character in my mind. Uh, and what I mean by that is, like, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, Bernardo and his connection with, like, uh, the Mexican people, right? Um, Chico has a connection with the village, too, because he's basically, like, if those young boys were more grown up, right? Like, mm-hmm, right. he's disaffected. He's like, oh, my dad's a coward. You know, he's just a simple farmer. I want to be like you. And, like, he's the living personification of someone that's trying to be like uh, Chris and his crew. Um, a young guy who takes crazy chances, um, wants to be in the action, thinks that, like, the lot that he was born into, it, that's not what life's about. Life's about gunfighting and, and women and stuff like that. So he's got all these, like, idealistic, romanticized ideas of what, like, this cowboy gunslinger lifestyle is. And um, it helps us as an audience kind of play with this duality of, like, is it? actually good to be like Chris or is it better to be like the village folk you know um Chico quite literally embodies that mm-hmm. he's a great great character um uh I'm, you can already see how excited I am about that character so, <laughs> uh, I have almost nothing to say about Red Harvest uh you know he's cool he fights with a bow and arrow fight yeah he's a legolas oh, yeah. he is a legolas <laughs> and you know he, he has some pretty good fight scenes and stuff like that but like he's kind of like a quiet because he because he, he mostly doesn't speak English. Right. Yeah, so they don't really talk to him. So nobody knows anything about him. Yeah. Versus, like, Chico is, like, part of the narrative, right? Like, when they're amassing the crew, he's following them the whole time. And Chris is like, oh, there goes that guy again, mm-hmm. you know? And eventually they let him into the fold. And, like I said, Chico really thinks that, like, this lifestyle is the way to go. Mm-hmm. And um, things will happen throughout the film that sort of question that. And it, I, I don't know, just um, without getting too deep into the story, I mean, like, 
He's just a great character. He's, in my <laughs> he certainly has a chip on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. um, he's constantly trying to prove himself to Chris and everybody because his first... When he tried to sign up, yeah. I guess, um, Chris had this game. He's like, I want you to clap. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> I want you to clap. And then he like puts the gun in between the clap. So it's like, how fast are your hands, pretty much? How yeah. fast can you draw? Yeah. And then Chico just kind of loses his nerve and just walks away. And he's like, comes back later, pissed drunk. And yeah. he's like, how dare you? I'm I'm just as good. You're going to want me. And then he's drunk ass, just kind of passes yeah. out. Yeah. So he's, he's a very flawed character. Mm -hmm. um, and you do kind of want to see that that turn for him, that redemption arc, which yeah. they, they do kind of give him that arc, yeah. but I just, I feel like it never really hit like that, that turn, I guess. No, it no. never, I never really felt that turn, I guess, it, in his character. It does, it just, does have it. just kind of happens. Yeah, it just kind of <laughs> happens. He never really earns it. Yeah. I guess, because he's, he's very arrogant. Like, when he arrives to the town, he's the one, like, just yelling and berating all the villagers. How yeah. dare you hide? We, we're doing this for you. Yeah. Like, well, we, didn't, we didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah you just yeah. showed up, buddy. <laughs> Wait till uh, at least the first gunfight before but, you start getting pissed at everybody. But, you know, because you could see, like, he wants to prove himself. He's yeah. trying, constantly trying he's, to measure up to what he thinks, you know, Chris and Vin and everybody else are like. He's the raff. He's the raff of the group. <laughs> like, he's a hothead. He takes far too many chances. Like, there's a scene where, like, there's snipers uh, taking shots at them from... Uh, from afar as snipers do and he takes this crazy chance and gets uh uh his hat basically shot off yeah his you know it's like hey man a couple more inches and you're not you're not here and um there are people uh in the film that start to care about his well-being even when he's he doesn't so even um, when he doesn't i don't even think he deserves it honestly no, no, he's, he's, he's no. kind of a jerk i don't know i think that uh I think that because he's kind of the youngest, uh, there is sort of a, well, there, uh, not sort of, there is a love angle that's played in this, um, with this character that does not exist at all in the remake for really anybody. Um, it, it's, it's interesting, like, they give him a lot to do, but he's basically like the young pretty boy that takes crazy, crazy chances and, um, Ultimately, like, has to embrace the fact, like, hey, man, maybe you are just like these villains. Like, maybe you're not so tough or brave. You know, I mean, he is, but, like, that's not really the most virtuous thing, ultimately. Yeah. Um, I mean, he sneaks into the enemy camp. That's yeah, pretty ballsy. that was pretty cool. <laughs> he lights a cigarette for, uh, yeah. for um, oh, man, well, we got to talk about it, actually. We'll get into our villains. Okay. Um, so, in... The original film, you've got Eli Wallach who plays Calvera. Right on. Somehow I don't think you solved my problem. Who's like basically like the bandit chief. And man, he chews up last screen. Like in a good way. Like he's very like vocal and active. Mm -hmm. um, in the remake, Peter uh, Sarsgaard plays Bartholomew Bogue? Bogue. Yeah. yeah. Bartholomew Bogue. Who's basically like a corrupt industrialist. So. <laughs> that man murdered my husband. I want something. I take it. So like, um, Calvera is basically just like, he's a rogue. He's a bandit. He doesn't really have a lot of motivations. Like, this village has food. We need food. We're going to go take it. Um, Bartholomew Bogue has like, almost like this high-minded idea of like, yeah. This is the future, and you know you, 
you're sheep. I'm I'm culling the herd. Uh, I, progress, you know, you're either in, helping or you're in the way. Um, wasn't a huge fan of it. I thought it was like kind of heavy handed. Like, I don't think that his character was in the film enough to build him out like that. Mm -hmm. Which, like, Calvera to me felt very much appropriate as a villain because. In a lot of ways, there wasn't a lot of difference between Calavera and yeah. the Seven. Yeah, I was going to say, he's, he's kind of the same thing, just on the opposite end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Because there's even moments while Calavera and Christian interact, he's like, just join us. Yeah. Stop doing this. Like, we're, we're the same. We can do this. Right. You can join us and we'll be even more powerful. So I like that, that you kind of have these polar opposites. Yeah. And it makes sense that they would, like, have this bitter rivalry versus, like, you know, you got this Denzel versus, like, this businessman kind yeah. of thing. So it's not... As interesting a dynamic, and they try to, they try to make it personal yeah. too in the remake. It's like, oh, oh he killed his very last. Yeah, moment, exactly. You know? Like you don't even know it's a motivation. It's like, but you know, like every time he's Bogue, Bogue, <laughs> talking about Bogue, wow. and then yeah, they bring up that yeah, they shoehorn in that. Oh, by the way, you killed my family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, um, I don't know, and tonally too, and mm -hmm. I think that that's what this film struggles with, like. Sarsgaard's character would fit in in the movie Wild Wild West. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, like he, he could have been the villain from Wild Wild West, which is um, not meant to be a good <laughs> comparison. Like, cause like that's a Western that's a comedy. This is a Western that sometimes it wants to be a comedy. Sometimes it wants to be something else. And I think Bogue fits in that, that narrative because like, what? Like, it's just, it's almost too much backstory. It's almost confusing. Like, Calvera, to me, is a very simple character to understand. Right. Um, he's a rogue. You know, he's a bandit. Bogue is like, I, you know, he's trying to do, like, a 401k. It's like, I, 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 I get it, like, the West is changing, but, like, I just felt like he didn't feel like the villain this movie needed to me. Yeah, I just think... Um you know, Bogue, they were just trying so hard to just paint him as a villain. Yeah. Like, every time you see him, he's very serious. He's very kind of almost mustache twirling yeah, he is. In, yeah. in his performance. As opposed the, to... The jar is like... Yeah. Which like nowhere. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? He like has his kid's hand in a jar and he's just like being menacing for... I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't even it's understand it. Yeah. As opposed to Calvera, who's, you know, your, your best villain. So no mm -hmm. other villains, right? So he, he's just... Like you said, he's just doing what he wants with his crew of men, yeah. and I'm just gonna take because I can. And you know, he's yeah. his introduction. It's he's he's a, he's a light kind of almost yeah. playful character because mm -hmm. he's talking. He's just like complaining about you know, oh, we were we just raided this other town and hey, nobody's putting money yeah. in churches anymore, yeah. but we still took it. Yeah, yeah. We still took it. <laughs> but I'm just saying. I'm trying to tell him about lack of religion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's this lack of religion. So he's a he's a very fun. He's a fun, especially in that introduction. That intro is so good because he does play both sides of it, like the church line where he's like, you know, they don't have gold anymore. It's like copper. Yeah. Is, you know. People aren't paying their tithes. Like, meanwhile, he's robbing them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when someone points out that irony, he like snaps and like he becomes dangerous again. Mm -hmm. So like, he plays in the space of, um, of, yeah, I'm kind of funny and I'm trying to disarm you with that humor, but I'm deadly dangerous. Yeah, and um, should not be messed with. And that comes back several times throughout. The film, he's very consistent in that way. Yeah, well, in that opening scene, like, he's very playful, but then somebody kind of charges him. He's like, well, you're dead now. Yeah. So he just kills, like, 
an instant like you know turn the switch on now i'm gonna now i'm a killer yep so that's what you want i've tried to be nice but you, you can see i'd be a killer so it's done so early and you yeah. get like all of his character pretty yeah. immediately even in, like his philosophy with his gang right like uh bogue has motivation that i don't know like his motivation is, is far enough that like he'll enslave people in the village to like make him more money whereas like a calvera who like you know he'll kill if he has to he, he actually you know fucked up kind of roundabout ways mindful about how much he's stealing he's like well i gotta be able to come back later and steal more <laughs> so like there there is a moment in the film where like people in the village weigh whether or not hey maybe this calvera guy i mean it sucks but it could be worse and like that's a real <laughs> thought process for the townsfolk they're like well i mean yeah he's gonna rob us but at least he doesn't slaughter all of us so like they they grapple with <laughs> uh his villainry and it it just plays so well and i think he to me um the calvera villain was just is one more fun mm -hmm. and two felt actually more dangerous than this guy who like i don't know I, I didn't really get him I was like, yeah he's pretty much like a one-note villain he's yeah like, i just want to take your land and that's mm -hmm. that's like his whole thing the whole mm -hmm. movie and it doesn't really give you more than that and like you said maybe it's because we don't spend as much time with him, right but i don't know it's I'm, just i'm glad we don't <laughs> yeah because he's like, a really boring character <laughs> yeah. as opposed to calavera it's like every time he's on the screen it's like okay which one are we going to get now yeah. so yeah. it's a lot more interesting no when calavera is on screen it, it's it's fun eli wallach really like um i don't know he just nailed that that role um and like to your point when you're talking about chico going to the village like when chico lights his cigarette yeah I'm just like, oh, yeah, you're like, shit, come on, he's gonna know, right? <laughs> you're gonna know that this guy was shooting at your men earlier. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, nope, if you're wearing a sombrero, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're one of us. Man, that was good. Um, yeah, so clearly we have a preference for our villain. Um, I also wanted to note um, these two characters that are real. Well, yeah, let me note these characters first. So in. Um, the original there is basically one woman <laughs> i mean there's more but like there's one woman that gets to talk um and it's uh rosinda monteros who plays petra um I, an actual spanish person <laughs> yes helpful helpful um also like i'll just throw this in too because these two in tandem kind of fill the role of a character i'm going to describe but uh, Jorge Martinez de Hoyas plays a character named Hilario. Um, in the original film, Hilario and like two other guys go out to get the seven. We wish you to help us. There's this man, Calvera. To hire people to help save the town. Um, Rosinda Montero's Petra, the character is not in the movie for a while. In a way, in a way that I actually thought worked really well. Um, the village is hiding the women from these uh, the seven because they don't know if they're cutthroats, if they're gonna, you know, try to take advantage of them and stuff like that. So like, they say rape. <laughs> well, yeah, they do say, look quite literally, yeah, well, rape, yes. <laughs> Trigger warning, I guess. Um, but like, when the, when the seven first get into town, I'm like, where the fucking shit's at, dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. sausage yeah, yeah. Steve McQueen's character, like, you know, I've been in town with beautiful women, but town with ugly women. I've never been to a town with no women. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chico's character discovers Petra like in the woods at some point, and we find out that there are women in this town. Um, Petra and Chico have a love interest. Um, it works, in my opinion, really well. Um, 
helps with the Chico art because to, to your point, his art does not feel earned. So mm -hmm. we really need uh, Ro Rosinda's character to uh, to bring him full circle. But uh, I do appreciate that. You know, sometimes love interests in films are cheesy. I felt like this one kind of worked well because we are dealing with the duality of uh, um, these men who don't have wives and children. The only thing they know is the gun. Um, Chico has a chance to, like, make something with Rosenda, which, you know, eh, eh, yeah, kind of works. Yeah, I get for the character arc of Chico, like, putting her in there kind of works. Like, I, for me, I don't know. I felt a little shoehorned that love story, yeah. especially because their first interaction, he was so aggressive and yeah. somewhat violent towards yeah. her. And, you know, it's just like, I'm the man, you're going to do what I say. And, you know, it was very, very much didn't treat her like a human being. And then all no. of a sudden, because he through his, you know, almost got killed and was, you know, fighting yeah. nobly, she's, like, attracted to him. It's like, they never had, a, like, a moment together afterwards where he kind of, like, you know, apologized or came, right. you know, just nah, it doesn't happen. met her as an equal, more as, like, a thing, because he was kind of treating her like yeah. a thing. And so, like, for me, like, all of a sudden, she's just, like, staring at him, like, all wide-eyed and in lovey-dovey. It just it felt like, well, yeah. where'd that fucking come from? I don't know if she just thinks he's hot. I don't know. <laughs> out there, young, he's shooting guns. Yeehaw. Um, I, as much as, like, that, I feel like, so in the remake, the character, like I mentioned, it kind of fills both of these roles at the same time. Um, but none of these roles at the same time. Uh, we've got Haley Bennett, who plays Emma Cullen, who's a young widow. Uh, she becomes a widow in the first five minutes of the movie. He will take everything we have. So you seek revenge. I seek righteousness, but I'll take revenge. Her husband, played by a character on one of my favorite shows, Doom Patrol, too. He's nice. Like, yeah, he's Larry Doom Patrol. I was like, Larry, Doom Patrol, this is great. <laughs> he, was, he was pretty good in the 20 seconds. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, she's a young widow. Uh, she gets she gets a couple of good lines in there, like, um, because this woman is the person that went out to town to try to save the town. She's like, I got more balls than you guys. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. if you're gonna question my motivation. It's cool. Like, she's she's there, but like, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we started filming. This feels like a, almost like a diversity for diversity's sake um, character because yeah, she has some lines and she goes out, but like, she doesn't do much. And like, there are times, there's like literal scenes where action starts and she's like, bye, and then action stops. She's like, I'm back. And it's like, <laughs> it's like. If you're gonna go this route, I'm kind of glad that there wasn't some stupid like love thing between her and like Chris Pratt yeah. or something like that. Like I, I appreciate that, but I also felt like besides amassing the crew, which really she doesn't, she finds one guy. After that, her narrative has no purpose. Yeah, I think the whole her whole arc is just like revenge. Yeah, because. Which gets complicated because Denzel's also out right, for revenge. Right. So it's like which, now we got two people out for revenge. Which like we're gonna talk about, but which made the the end for me kind of confusing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. Right. So like you know, um, I get it. Like let's not just have her just be some lovely dumb yeah, person. I they gave that. her some action. You know, she's very capable with the firearm, yeah. and she participated very heavily in the fighting. But I guess. We just don't really spend a lot of time with her because we're so focused on the seven. There's mm -hmm. a lot of scenes in the movie where the, the seven are just around a table, just getting drunk and yeah. kind of just 
opening up to each other and we're getting to know their character. She's never in any of those no. scenes. So we never get to really know who she really is. We just know her husband died and she wants revenge. Yep. And well, ultimately she, I guess, gets it. But we were kind of forgot about her. Right. So when she gets it, it's it, the, the payoff doesn't feel Dude, like it's there. I think it's like, wait, oh yeah, that's right. You, your husband died. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot, but you were like barely in here. So... It, you know, it's just funny because, like, it's still the Magnificent Seven. Right. right? Like, there, there are moments because we said Ethan Hawke loses his nerve where, like, she kind of slots in. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's not the Magnificent Eight. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's Seven. And, like, when she does show up towards the end, you're like, to your point, it's like, oh, yeah, that mm -hmm. character. I just felt like... um. There were moments where it could have been a stronger character, and to be honest, like maybe you lose like the Mexican outlaw because, like, I just it, yeah, you she should have been a more present force. Yeah, she not. easily could have just been a member of the Seven right. instead of just a villager. It felt like of. it was gonna be that way until they were eventually like, okay, we got seven. <laughs> you're cut. <laughs> um, I don't know, like uh, Haley Bennett. She was fine, but like just the character had nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah. You easily could have cut like Vasquez or even Vincent D'Onofrio's character because you they didn't really have an arc either. So, yeah, like you said, almost does feel like diversity for diversity's sake, but not only with her character, like also with like Red Harvest. It's right. like okay, we got this Native American guy who shoot bow and arrow. Yeah. That's cool, but we didn't really do anything with him. Like their inclusion, or I was gonna say like his inclusion doesn't really like do anything to yeah. like elevate the story. It's just, well, let's just bring in a guy with Native American. We got a Native American, and they happen to have a Native American. Yeah. Who's going to fight at some point, huh? And, and Why do the Native Americans got to fight, huh? Yeah, seriously. I mean, like, uh, when you look at, like, the Red Harps character, because he doesn't really do anything, um, I like I mentioned before, I prefer, weirdly enough, the stagecoach scene where it's like, I'm going to take uh, old Sam and bury him on the hill which shows kind of credibility with like the native population um, without actually having Native Americans in the movie versus this where like you have a guy in the movie and you kind of just have him as background noise, which to me is actually worse. <laughs> it's, it's weirdly worse. And um, I think you could lose that character and literally slot her in because I don't get why she's not more important because it seemed like that's the way it was trending early in the film. Yeah. And she's kind of like, all right, we're good. And comes back, you know, from time to time, but not in a super meaningful way until, I guess, the end. Um, but I, like with you, I am happy they didn't make her like a I'm story. so glad she wasn't like crying over some dead cowboy. <laughs> like it's, it's like they handle that character well at times mm -hmm. and then just drop the ball other times. And it, by the end, it's confusing because you're like, is this character important or are they not? Because they never really, uh, they never square that circle, circle, whatever the, the <laughs> phrase is. They don't, they don't do it. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a missed opportunity with some bright spots. I think that's an eloquent way of putting it. Yeah. All right. Um, that's more or less the characters in the film. Um, I guess some of the things that we could talk about, uh, for me, and you know, we can pick the order here. Character motivation mm -hmm. and uh, action. So really, 
uh, your choice. What do you think we? We'll do character motivation. Okay, it's a little more interesting. Yeah. So the, like we've been saying, like in the, for the original Magnificent Seven, mm-hmm. it's not really about the money because the fee is like twenty bucks. Yeah. <laughs> and then when they're talking to Charles Bronson's O'Reilly character, he's like. You did this, yeah. I did that for five hundred bucks. You did this, I did that for eight hundred bucks. Yeah. And he's like, "Well, how much is this one paying? Twenty bucks." And he's like, <laughs> yeah. like, "Everybody like hears that price tag of like twenty bucks, and everyone's like, uh, yeah. But eventually, because these are our good guys, they you know they see yeah. the light, and yeah. then they finally join. So it's not really about the money. Well, it might be for Harry because he thinks there's something right. in the mountains right. or something. But these are just men who have come together for the greater good, mm-hmm. like, like I said, and you know that's. That's why they're helping the villagers out in the first place, and that's why when even they're betrayed by the very villagers they're trying to save, sure. they ultimately decide, well, you know what, we this this is a greater calling. It's it's not about us just looking out for ourselves. I mean, right. we got to help these people. Right. So their motivation is clearly let's let's do the good, the right thing here. Um, don't really have motivation yeah. like that in the remake because. We don't. We're never really given, I guess, the price tag of how much. It no, we're not actually. But we just know, like, the villagers, like, we're going to give everything. <laughs> so it seems like they're going to get compensated pretty right. well. Chris right. Pratt got a horse out of it uh, if <laughs> if it works out for him. So they're doing good, but you, the motivation of the characters in the remake isn't as obvious as it is yeah. in the original. Yeah, it's like not as clear that the payout's not great. Um, it really doesn't come up for any of these guys uh, throughout the film. Um, you have that element. The fact, you know, like, sure, it was kind of a, an eclectic crew and, like, some of them had questionable motivations in the uh, original, but you have quite literal, like, like uh, what we say, the Mexican guy, sorry. Um, yeah, you have quite literal outlaws. <laughs> On your crew, so like it's just, it's just confusing. I think um, the original, when they do make the uh, focus on the money, um, there's a line in the film where you know they first seek out the villagers, like, oh, we'll go get guns, and it's like actually men are cheaper than guns, <laughs> yeah. And like that's kind of like the central theme of this this uh, movie is like these these men who can be bought, who are expendable. Who have like lived entire lives, have seen so many things, and like, in a way, like we romanticize the old West, but like they've done all this and have nothing to show for it. And um, I think, in a way, like as they've gotten older, as they've gone through all the things they've done, they're actually kind of sentimental about the village. They're like, you know what, fuck the money. Like this was about, you know, let's just do the right thing. And like it, if that arc feels really. Uh, satisfying, especially when, um, uh, like you mentioned, they are betrayed. There's a difference between the two films where the villagers in the original kind of like they fold and they're like, oh shit, this uh, mm-hmm. Calvary, he's so scary. And they basically like give up. Yeah. <laughs> they give up and they, uh, they turn over the seven. Um, they betray them more or less. And after that, these, you know, outlaws and, you know, uh, mercenaries basically. So you know what? Even though they just did that, let's go back and help them again. And it's clearly about more than the money. And I think that like that movie finds a way to do that. It's over, but like in in subtle ways, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you so, do it. They do. Um, 
they don't spoon feed it to you. Yeah. You do have to like kind of figure out like why are they going? Oh, okay, mm -hmm. that's why they're going back. Is yeah, that. So while it is a little bit like it's, it's, it's loose, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hard to to make that connect and feel real. But right. like, yeah, but I guess like for a movie that came out in the '60s, it's 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 done it's well pretty, enough where you can follow. Yeah, yeah. solidly. Yeah, um, I guess kind of going back to the motivation. I think that the problem that the remake has when it comes to motivation is that we're introduced to the motivation. I think they're trying to keep it too close to the chest um, in terms of why everyone's there. That by the time you find out, like it ceases to matter. Like having that scene where they're betrayed in the original kind of allows us to reset and say, well, this is why we're fighting. Right. And then, then go back into like another action scene Versus like this remake was just like action, 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 motivation, done. <laughs> it's like uh, usually when a character has motivation, you lay that out at the beginning of the film <laughs> so that we know why they're there and that we can kind of get behind it. Like, uh, you know, like uh, in Star Wars when they, they kill Luke's uh, uncle and aunt, it's like, all right, holy shit, spoiler, sorry guys. The movie came out in 1970. Uh, um, it's like, all right. Cool. This is why he's here. I don't know why anyone's there until until we do. Yeah, it's a really interesting choice to not have Denzel reveal that it was a revenge thing for him the whole time that he had this history with Bogue. They didn't even like really tease it at all. Like usually, like you make, maybe you give me like a nightmare sequence where he's revisiting it in that... his dreams, you know, and then he wakes up. And it's like, oh, okay, so something happened in his past, so we're a little yeah. more, you know, we're a little more aware of it. But they really. Don't, they don't let you know until the very yeah. end. Like, this is a trope, but like, this should be like a campfire story. Well, why are you one? Why are you so, uh, trying to get bogged so bad? And like, over a campfire or something, it's like, yeah, well, this is what happened. Damn, that ain't right. Like that, if, if that happened in the middle of the film, I think I would have been more invested in his fight with Bogue. And I, I, I wasn't at the end because I didn't know why. He was there. Yeah, and again, it's just it's it's messy because we already have a revenge plot happening uh, with, with uh, Haley Bennett with Haley Bennett's character. Yeah, so to like throw in, well, there's also more revenge yeah. happening yeah. here. And so you know, so who is the one that's gonna ultimately kill Bogue? <laughs> because we have two revenge plot lines going on right. simultaneously. Right. So yeah, if you had this running storyline of like Denzel's in it for revenge, and then ultimately he doesn't get to kill Bo, I yeah. think that would be, <laughs> that would just anger people, like, well, what was the point of right. the whole story? Right. Why does she get the, like, I get it, like, her husband was killed, but we were following his revenge plot, not her revenge plot, so, yeah, it's just a little messy with yeah. two <laughs> stories of revenge going on. Especially when Haley Bennett's character, like we mentioned, kind of gets tossed back towards, like, the end of the queue in terms yeah. of, like, uh, screen time and who, like, who we're following. So like when she shows up for her revenge, like you mentioned before, like wait a minute, oh yeah, <laughs> like um, and Denzel's is just it, like you mentioned, it's just too late in the film to tell me why you're here, um, especially like that can work in some films, but when you have like seven characters that we have to follow, for us to not know any one of their motivation until the end actually doesn't work. I think that you could do this like late motivation thing if, like you mentioned, one, there weren't two revenge plots. <laughs> and if the story was more like 
focus. Like we're following this one guy, right? And then we find out why he did it. That works when we're following seven or eight mm-hmm. people. I gotta know why why we're here. At this. Yeah. It's confusing. It is why. confusing. And then it's like, it's not even clear, like, why the ones who die, like, why are they putting their life on the line for this? Like, Ethan Hawke's character just leaves, and then he comes back, and it's never really explained why he comes back. Like, oh, it was the right thing yeah. to do that I had to come save these people. It's just like, I gotta go. I gotta, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, Denzel, I gotta go. I, they didn't pay me for this much of the movie, so I'm gonna leave right now, but don't worry, I'll come back for not exactly an explained reason. It's like, the whole reason he wants to leave is because he can't raise his firearm to kill another human because he thinks something bad is going to happen to yeah. him. But then he decides to come back anyway and kill the bad guys, and he does die so because he was right. Yeah, he, he, he was right. <laughs> and I don't know. It's just there was no motivation really. Like, why are you coming back? Why is it this time right. that you decide right. like now? I need to do right. the right thing. And right. Even Chris Pratt's character, like, he's just like this kind of cocky cowboy, and he's like having a lot of fun, but like, why are you throwing your life, right. out, life out there on the line? It wasn't exactly clear because we didn't really see them connect with the village no. in the same way we saw the Magnificent Seven in the original. Yeah, it's like, um, those, you know, kind of goofy scenes of them hanging out at the village while they're celebrating, mm-hmm. talking to people in the village, uh, sharing their food with the villagers. like. I felt like there was a real connection. So mm-hmm. it started out, like you mentioned with Chico, yelling at everyone, being like, you are ungrateful people. But then by the time, like, as the women came in mm-hmm. and more stuff happened, it was like, they felt like they were part of the town too. Yeah. And um, it kind of makes sense that you're fighting for, your at this point now, your friends versus uh, that animosity towards the townspeople doesn't really break in the remake. Um, and we don't spend enough time with anyone of substance to right. care. Like, I don't know who else lives in the town besides Haley Bennett's character. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we don't really focus on any kind of one-on-one interactions or just like hanging out with the villagers in general. Because the only time we see our seven with the villagers is when they're training them. Right. We never get the scene of them just kind of hanging out like we do in the original. And that's a great way of connecting with the villagers and fleshing out the seven more. Yeah. But we never get that. We just get the seven hanging out with, with each other. Right. So right. they always there's always a disconnect between the seven and the villagers as opposed to the original where they start to, to mesh and flow together. Yeah. Which, is again, goes back to what we were saying with, like, like a Cal- Calvera character. The reason, like, Calvera is elevated as a villain is because we care about the villagers. So, you know, it's not just like this guy is mustache twirling at, you know, non-playable characters, basically. <laughs> you know, um, um, we have some skin in the game with Hilario and, and the children in the town and the women in the town. Um, the seven are like, some of them are like, man, maybe we shouldn't leave, you know? Like, maybe this is a, a lifestyle for us. Um, and remake is like, yeah, we trained a little bit. We kind of like freed some people from the mines and that's it. <laughs> That's it, you know. I just think that um, even though like the runtimes of both films are pretty much similar, I think that where the original chose to focus at times mm-hmm. helped with the story arc. Um, whereas like the remake, kind of like there's these little elements that are missing mm-hmm. that are replaced by things that I don't think actually drive the story. They may look interesting, like right. uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the action, but like. Uh, 
you know, you lose that, um, you lose the scene where you're burying the Native American. You're losing the scene where the women are brought back into town. You're losing the scene where kids are interacting with Bernardo. Like, those are, that's exposition. That's character building. That's just not there. And now you just have a, a kind of Western gunfight. Yeah. Instead. Well, they just did a much better job in the original of making us care about the village. Yeah. And, you know, the because we interact with them more, because the seven generally care about them, you know, they'll talk about, like, the people and just, like, the lives they have there and, like, yeah. how maybe it is better than the lifestyle they've been living. And, you know, they, they do nice things for the villagers. Like, when the women come back, like, they're fed, like, these huge meals. Yeah. And they're right. like, well, you know, the villagers have only been eating, like, beans and rice the last few days and then they decide to share their meals with the children of the village yep. you know it's just it's not a lot but you know little touches like that Smart make move. the characters care about the village so i'm gonna care more about the village yep. don't have any interactions like that in the remake unfortunately because and and like the timeline's a lot different in both film, uh, both films yeah because i think we have like Maybe it's like, like six some, weeks or something. At least three. It, like, yeah, yeah, a number of weeks in the original yeah. film as opposed to just seven days in the remake. And we got to train, train, train the whole time. Right, right. You're right, right. Because the timeline is shortened. Nope, you don't got time. Bull's going to be here any day now. Um, it does force you to say, well, you don't have time for hanging out. <laughs> you got six days, basically. So um, no, that's a great point. That like By compressing the timeline, too, not that, you know, ultimately, does it doesn't really matter? No, but, like, no. It, it does in the sense of, like, if I saw the guys in the original film kind of chilling, if I knew they were on a six-day timeline. Right. Like, <laughs> what were we doing here? Hey, guys, uh, do we really have time for this? Um, I don't know. Like, they really do feel like they become part of, it's crazy. It's like that village feels, like, alive. Like, it feels like a really fleshed-out yeah. place. Yeah. yeah, because it's not just serious, serious. Oh man, this it's, it's all dreadful. There's a lot of fun to be yeah, had. There you is, know, you there got is. The, hanging out with the villagers, and you got Harry like teaching them this this trick yeah. with the cups. You know, it's a simple thing, but let's let's hang out with the villagers. Let's have some fun. It's not all serious all the time. So mm -hmm. it feels like you know, fully fleshed yeah. out characters as opposed to we live in fear of Bogue every day. And That's it. The villagers do like they have like festivals and stuff like that. Like, yeah. stuff happens. Like, yeah, it's kind of cool, man. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's just uh. That happened. I will say, kind of moving into sort of the next phase of this, the uh, from an action standpoint, I'll, I'll say this with the remake. That is one of the strengths of uh, of this film that they figured out set piece action mm -hmm. really well. There's some uh, there's some kind of goofy stuff that happens in the original with the net and. <laughs> The way certain people get shot and stuff like that. Um, you mentioned uh, Lee kind of like falling against yeah. the wall. Yeah. It's, um, it's still actually for especially for a time in 1960, like it's really legible and clear action for the but, most part. There's some scenes where I'm like, ah, who shot that guy? <laughs> um, it actually like feels like there's good scope to the fight in the original film, but nothing in comparison to like the stops they pull out for the remake. Especially like the final fight in the remake. It feels like a like a war film, yeah, like a yeah. full battle. It's just like Gap army on the field. Yeah. Explosive. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah, there's so many explosions. You gotta have explosions. You gotta have the ante. So yeah, the action is definitely ramped up and it 
does work in the remake. It does mm -hmm. get maybe a little exhausting it because is. there's just so much yeah. action, especially that final fight, that final showdown. That's a long fight. That is a long fight. Because, yeah. like, the fight starts, and then it basically resets when the Gatling comes out. <laughs> like, oh, man. Um, and there's a lot to take in in that fight because uh, in that one scene, you got pretty much most of the deaths that are going to happen to yourself. I mean, all of them, really. Um and it's it's not like it all happens at once. It's like this thing happened to this guy, and Ethan Hawke comes back, and uh, uh, Billy rocks, and it's mm -hmm. like there's a lot happening. Um, and I think as good as the action is, what hurts is, is that we, you know, the motivation comes in late. So uh, seeing a good scene like that is kind of diminished because I don't really give a shit what happens <laughs> to like. Uh, most of these guys, but it, it was really well shot. Yeah, and I kind of like how the action scenes occurred, I guess, in the remake just a mm -hmm. little bit more, because we have two major action sequences, I guess, in both films. In the original, um, the first time Calvera arrives when the Seven are already there, yep. and then they kind of just shoot at them, and then Calvera and the remainder of his crew just kind of run away. Right. It's not much of a fight, because it's just uh, one side shooting, and one side's kind of just running away. And then, like, uh, then they come back later, after they've been betrayed by the village, so then there's, like, two rounds uh, versus Calvera's men. Mm -hmm. It felt a little bit like, oh, we're doing this again, kind of, as opposed like to the remake, where it's like, when we first arrive, Calvera has these or Bogue <laughs> sorry, yeah. has these men uh, who are supposed to be like the law officers things all, all in his pocket yep. and so we have this huge shootout and you're like damn <laughs> if this is the fight in the middle of the movie what's right. the fight going to be like at the end because it's right. a long shootout it's, it's shootout. very action packed and yeah Billy gets this cool moment with the knives during that fight yeah. it's really really well shot and then like later then we fight Bogue so it's like first we fight kind of like Bogue's kind of like just some of his men, and then we, we elevated by actually bringing Bogue there. Right. In the original, it's like, we got Calvera around round one, and Calvera around two. two. So, yeah, I appreciate what they did in the remake. Totally, totally. Um, I, which is, like, it's fine. I kind of miss, and it, it really wouldn't make sense as remake, I kind of miss the, uh, the betrayal turn, because I think it, uh, although that's a little muddy too is like i'm just gonna kind of let you go because I'm yeah gonna. yeah because he, he does come on come up with a weak excuse about like pardoning thieves or something yeah and it was, it was a very weak it, motivation if you're weak. calvera and you got them dead to rights you just get rid of the problem right <laughs> right it's like you were willing to shoot them seconds ago yeah and now you've decided that shooting them is not worth it. Yeah, and he's going to give them their guns back once yeah. they're far enough away. Which is like, man, you're a really nice bad guy. It was really strange. Like, it's cool. Like, overall, like, the movie still works. But, like, that part to me, it just it slowed things down the way I was like, I liked that there was a betrayal. I just didn't like the way it was handled. Yeah. Like, um, maybe there's a way to get out of that fight. A different way but just be like hey you know like basically bend the knee and uh <laughs> get out of here it's like all right because then to your point we immediately followed up and did the exact same shoot yeah. shooting again so um yeah but i do like how calvera and chris have a lot more back and forth yes. as yeah. opposed to bogue and denzel washington who don't even yeah. really talk until the very end he's like uh, what's your name again he's like i don't know that name <laughs> It elevates Calvera again, too, because, like, we already get the scenes where Calvera 
is so like you know um energetic and active and stuff like that and like dangerous but like it gives him this arc where it's like oh Calvera won <laughs> like yeah. I beat you guys I actually am better at this than you are um you didn't realize that like because uh, at this point you know story wise money wins day uh turns out that people are more interested in um you know, their own self-interest in the greater good. So, like, that's why I was able to beat you. You overestimated these villagers. Yeah. And, um, you know, to then have the seven kind of pick themselves up and say, you know what, that happened. Sure, Calvary's making the point, but we're going to we're gonna see this through. It's, imp- it's impressive, although somewhat. It's a shaky... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> shaky yeah. Get there. it's certainly shaky at points, but yeah. it definitely... You know, just makes Calvera more interesting, and it, he does give the village an arc, which is yeah. something that's interesting. A whole village as a collective has an arc where yep. we don't trust these guys, and we were friends with them, but we're going to betray them. But at the end, we're going to fight with them. So, right, you got you got your arc, village. You don't have that certainly in the remake. They're yeah. just pretty much on the side of the seven. Mm-hmm. And we don't really even see them. Right, like, we don't really care about them as much. We really don't care. About we, don't, <laughs> we don't really get to know them at all. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting, uh, interesting yeah, thing. Yeah, it's funny, too, because we don't really hang out with them, and then there's, like, one scene where, like, Denzel's concerned about, like, all the children. It's like, well, you, now you're caring about the I children? Know. Like, I, I, I never saw you care about I forgot the that there were children in the village. I, like, I really, I don't know, the village felt like background uh, in the remake versus the original, where the village is kind of like this living, breathing thing mm-hmm. that we have to, like, contend with in the, the arc, which is interesting. Um... I know this is usually your bag, but uh, in terms of like the music, um, what do you think about the score from Elmer Bernstein, the original? I felt like that kind of intro song. Yeah, the Magnificent Seven theme, while I had never seen the original movie, I knew the theme song because sure. I'd heard it in like different mediums. But you know, that dun, 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 you know, it's, it's you know, it's. 60s hero music yeah it's the best way to describe mm-hmm. it it fits perfectly with it they play that theme a lot and uh you know when you hear it you know like all right something good yeah. happen right now it, it's so triumphant because when it yeah. happens like like you mentioned like uh calvera's men running away it's like dun, 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 dun. <laughs> shooting that guy <laughs> yeah it, it it worked really well and i think um you get you get it Early in the film, like a lot of these '60s films, like this is like this is the thing we <laughs> this is our thing. This is the theme of the movie, and you will hear it <laughs> a few more times. But it was a really um, I, I enjoyed the score. Uh, I felt like it really excuse me. I felt like it really uh, matched a lot of the tone and action of the film. Um, I was impressed by the score in the remake too, though. Like it's not as like iconic, but I felt like they did a really good job with, um, you know, kind of managing just uh, as an audience, me taking in some of these scenes. Like, I could tell it was a very good score, even though I don't know anything about music. <laughs> yeah, and they do revisit the theme at the very end mm-hmm. when you're in our credits. Um, I, yeah, like we always say, like a good score is one you don't really notice yep. too much. So it was fine for the most part in the remake. The only thing I had, again, was mostly just Bogue, because every time Bogue was on screen, we had to have menacing music. Yeah. It's like... You know, if we need the menacing music, well, he's not something right. that's wrong with the villain. If right. we need the music to tell us he's a bad guy, 
let's just just let sorry's guard act. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, like I say, going back to that jar scene because like I'm sitting there and like the music's swelling and I'm like, oh yeah. shit, what's about to happen? He's like. And you got some mud on that kid's hand. Like, <laughs> I thought there was going to be something in there. I was like, what's going to fucking happen to this kid's hand? Is that acid? And it was like, nah, I'm just, it's all just dirt and ash. It's like, oh, yeah, I guess. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's like, that seems weaker than um, in the wars. It was like, oh, this put a little bit of turf. Like, it's like, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't get why they try, to your point, they try to make him this, like, menacing figure and it's just like wow what the fuck jeez um they're trying to make him this menacing figure and it's just like i don't know it, it didn't read menacing to me throughout the film yeah um, yeah because he because he's just so one-dimensional yeah but um, yeah overall the score was fine in both films it's it's tough when you have such an iconic score like mm -hmm. the Magnificent seven it's like where do you put it because tonally it doesn't really fit no. with the remake so I, it was a smart decision to put it in at the end during the credits what? when everything's over like I, th I thought i could kind of hear it like they sort of sure they put the theme in yeah. there like very subtly right but it was never as pronounced as it was in the credits right cool um i'm gonna kind of quickly because i know we gloss over it a bit but like i'm gonna kind of quickly go over the endings of both films okay. um as you mentioned like in the uh, original film when chris and his crew first get into town they're doing great. Like they're catching guys in nets. They're shooting them. They're they're winning. Um, Chico goes up there. He sneaks up on Calvera and finds out about you know that to the villagers they're thinking, hey, we're done. Like we kicked their ass. But it turns out Calvera's men are motivated because they're starving. Yeah. So uh, even though it doesn't make sense for them to come back, they will come back uh, because they're up against it. And they're um, like the only village and like around yeah they're the only place with supplies so they're gonna come back like Stephen mcqueen's character is like i had hoped that we'd maybe divert them make them go somewhere else but no they're gonna come back and they're gonna come back hard yeah which they which they do and um you know calvera's men get the upper hand on them like at one point uh the guys go they leave the village to kind of go try to um sort of smoke out calvera's men in like their like wood hideout type deal but they're not there, so when the guys come back, surprise! Yeah, <laughs> which again, like, just makes Calvera a better villain because his, so his first reaction isn't like let's be, let's just bring hell on earth to yeah. them. He's like, you know what? We're gonna outsmart them, and then we're just gonna kind of mm. nobody has to die. No. Everybody can just walk away from yeah, this, and exactly things can really just impressive. go back to the status quo. So, you know, he's not just like yeah, let's just kill them all, like fucking Peter Sarsgaard, yeah. right? like burn the burn the church. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> what, are, what are we doing here? Yeah, uh, you know, like. If, We'll get to them, but like, uh, you're an industrialist, right? Like, if you're so future minded, like, you would keep the church because like, there's a way to like manipulate power. Out yeah, there's a way to get money and power out of that. What are you doing, buddy? Um, but yeah, but like, yeah, when Calvera gets the upper hand, I'm, I, I really genuinely was like, uh, I don't know where they go from here. Yeah, this is, this is crazy. Like, is it, I was like, is this part of the plan? <laughs> yeah. or were they like intentionally like betraying them? Because they discussed that. No, nah, it was like, no, when I realized they were just yeah. caught dead to rights because. That never happened before. Like, they <laughs> got out of every situation. And here's, like, there was no out. And I was shocked that the villain really won. Yeah. You know, for a little bit. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, the villain took that W and turned into an immediate L by letting them go and letting them keep their weapons. So. <laughs> you know, he's a good villain, but he's not the smartest villain. No, nah, no. Nah. You know, he doesn't. 
Yeah, his motivation. We we touched on it. it was super loose, but um, you know, the guys come back. They are able to beat uh, back uh, Caveira's men. The villagers kind of like you mentioned. They get their arc. They help mm-hmm. in that, and um, you know, they lose. They lose men like uh, Bernardo dies. Lee dies. Um, I think more or less the what. There's about four of them that die. Yeah, in that exchange as well. Um, so who dies? Hold on. Uh, Britt dies. Yeah. And oh, uh, Harry Luck. Oh yeah, Harry Luck. Yeah. Uh, and which is a great scene because uh, yeah. as Harry Luck's dying, um, he's like, "Come on, Chris. What was it? It's the gold, right? You're here for the. We were here for the gold the whole time." And Chris is just like, "Yeah, yeah. it was about the gold." Yeah. And, and he's like, "You can get it. It just goes peacefully." It's yeah. like it's a sweet, yeah, bittersweet moment, like it's he says. So good. He's like, he's so happy that there was... <laughs> there <laughs> was gold, yay! I can go on now. This is a great, great little scene. Um, again, so when these four characters died, although, like, uh, there's not a huge character arcs here, but, like, yeah, I kind of care when Bernardo died. I kind of care when Harry Luck died because of the way they incorporated their, uh, their how you put personalities into mm-hmm. these, these yeah, deaths. Definitely. Um, and it also made sense because ultimately, sort of how this movie ends, uh, Chris and his, his crew realize that, like, um, you know, it's done. Like, yeah, they had this time in the village, but they have to move on and continue kind of living this lifestyle that they've had this whole time. And um, Chico has a choice. Like, he can either he can go and live life like Chris and his crew, or he can go back to kind of what he's doing before, being a farmer, uh, living out, I guess, the rest of his days with, uh, was it Petrus, um, in the village, and he ultimately chooses to go back. Mm-hmm. He's, um, he chooses to perhaps start a family and live a, a simpler life. Um, uh, again, does Chico, to your point, does he really need that arc? Not really, but uh, I think it kind of just buttons up this idea, this central theme that I got out of the movie, which is like, uh, when you live that lifestyle, your life's cheap. In fact, it's cheaper than just getting guns. Um, um, you don't have anything to show for it. No wife, no children, like nothing. Um, and, you know, ultimately, like, there's a line towards them where they say, you know, uh, the old man was right. The village won. You know, we lost. And it's, you know, even though Chris and his crew win, you know they're going right back into having to do this stuff again. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chico kind of is our, like, canary in the coal mine. It's like, hey, maybe maybe we can change. And it, it's an optimistic, in some ways, ending, even though a lot of it isn't yeah, <laughs> really optimistic. Yeah, even though we lost a lot of people. Yeah. I, I, thought, I thought it really just buttoned up that film really well. I, I appreciated that, uh, that ending, even though the Chico thing, to your point, is a little, it's a little forced, but it, it works narratively. Yeah. So, not to think of anything I can contribute to that. It was it's a pretty good summation. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, ultimately, like, uh, because it is like this remake of the Seven Samurai, the story is the story. Like, it's there, there's not much to add or take away from it. Like, it's actually like I think that people can continue to remake this type of film because, like, that storyline just. It's so easy to do, which is, shows the brilliance of the original screenplay and film. That like you made this like endearing story um, that could it could be about samurai, it could be about um, westerns, you could make it about mobsters, you could make it about mm. you, you could literally make this story for any genre, and it, 
It's really cool. Um, the remake. The remake. Although I say you can take the story <laughs> and put it in any genre, the remake chooses not to. <laughs> um, uh, um, so, it's to your point earlier, it's kind of all connected, right? Like, right before the big gunfight at the end, um, Robichaud kind of loses his nerve and he, he leaves. Mm -hmm. um, from there, I mean, like, Robichaud's kind of out of the picture. Uh, Haley Bennett's character kind of in the picture. You have this, it's, it's an impressive but somewhat generic fight, right? Like, as um, Bo's men are coming into town, the, uh, the Seven have set up all these explosives and they, like, mm -hmm. blow up a bunch of dynamite that they absconded from when they freed some other people from the mine. Um, and I, I mean, a lot of things happen, but, like, I'm struggling with this one because, to me, it's just, like, a very generic gunfight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's nothing like, I guess, unexpected or anything that really stands out um, in this gunfight, especially because the gunfight when they first arrived at the village was pretty spectacular. Yeah, that was actually so, really good. One. <laughs> yeah, and it's a lot cleaner too because we're just focusing on the seven as opposed to this huge war mm -hmm. battlefield that yeah. the village has become. For the finale so it is a little like i said it's a little bit exhausting because it just goes on yeah. and on and it's then they get the gatling gun and then we gotta move the women and right. children right because like they first kind of they're kind of winning the battle on the front end um uh ethan hall's character comes back into town to warn them that the gatling gun is coming um which then you know robishaw and his and what's the name uh, billy rocks like, all right, what are we going to do about this Gatling gun? Uh, Chris Pratt's character is, at this point, already injured, I think, before this even happens. Like, he goes out and, <laughs> like, basically suicide bombs himself. Like, I, I, I'm I, actually struggling to recall how these order of events happen. But, like, um, there is this Gatling gun. Chris Pratt kind of reprises this, this whole, you know, chester, like, here's your card. And he uses it to, like, help blow shit up and help save the day. Uh, Billy Rocks, Robichaud go off in a, basically a blaze of glory. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Vincent, yeah. Yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio, he just gets shot by the other Native American yeah. in the film by bow and arrow. And you think like, oh, he's gonna, he's getting shot, but he's still going. You're like, oh, he's gonna do something. He doesn't. <laughs> he just kind of dies. And the other guy who was with- uh, yeah, The red, uh, what the hell is his name? You're forgetting her. No, no, I'm talking about um, so Emma Cullen. Okay. So the other guy who was with Emma, mm -hmm. who you know he went with her to recruit everybody. He saw Vincent D'Onofrio's character die, and it was just like, oh yeah, I forgot about him yeah. too. Because it was like Thomas or something. But he doesn't really matter. Yeah, he doesn't really matter. <laughs> but he witnesses Vincent D'Onofrio's death. So I, I don't know. It's, it felt like it should have mattered more. They, they do play that as like this dramatic moment it's got like this platoon kind of saving private ryan moment to it mm -hmm. just like slowly falls with the arrows and it's like i don't give a shit <laughs> well he's the first of our seven to die that's so true I guess it's just signals like of things to come yeah yeah um ultimately you know chris pratt's character i guess completes his art by like sacrifice i mean he's already dead more or less but like making that sacrifice, going out there, helping them, like, get rid of the Gatling gun, 
which then allows this fight to be back on terms that like the seven can actually fight or win. Um, um, what's his name? Denzel's Denzel Sam Chisholm. Yeah, Denzel Sam Chisholm uh, confronts Bo and his men. He takes out two of them. He's got Bo in the run. Uh, he's something like, oh, pick up your gun. He just kind of shoots him. <laughs> shoots the gun. Chases him into like this burnt out church. And then we find out that um, Denzel's character, at some point, Bo uh, attacked his village, like during the, the War with the Confederates, and uh, raped his mother, lynched his sisters, tried to like lynch him too, and he survived. You see the scar on his neck. And you're like, oh, wow, well, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> um, and while Denzel's in the middle of kind of like getting his revenge, he starts to like choke out um, Bo. Then Haley Bennett just shows up and like shoots him. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know if that was supposed to be like symbolic. Was that supposed to like keep like a part of Denzel's humanity or something? Like that? I just, I didn't get it. You know? Uh, yeah, I don't. I think it. Honestly, I think it was just supposed to be a fake out because you hear this gunshot go off. So you may be supposed to. Oh, that's, oh yeah, that's right. Because Bo does reach for like a derringer or something like that. So it was a fake out. Um, yeah. But why not give Denzel the kill? Because you just <laughs> laid out his whole motivation right, right. right there. It, yeah, if, if Denzel is like, who, for the most part here, I mean, that is a pretty righteous cause. He murdered your family. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess he also murdered Haley Bennett's family. <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, you would think, to your point, that Denzel would be the one to kind of finish that because his arc does seem more one fleshed out and kind of important, especially like historically and stuff like that. With the, like, I don't know. It's just, uh, it was a weird choice. Um, and kind of after that, you get like, you know, they kind of go on their way, the, the three that are still living. Um, Haley Bennett's character does a voiceover while you see the graves of, um, hold up, I got it here. As you see like these tombstones for, uh, Robichaux, well, yeah, for Faraday, which is uh, Chris Pratt's character, Robisha, Ethan Hawke, Billy, Bjorn Hume Lee's character in uh, in Horn. They're just buried near the town in honor of his heroes. And you get some voiceover over saying that their sacrifice made them magnificent. It's uh, kind of the same thing happened, <laughs> but not really because it's like we mentioned with motivation in the arcs. So I don't know, like you have this really expansive firefight that does go on for a while. It's impressive. Like, I don't want to downplay like it's an impressive scene, but it's a little muddy because you know we're not really connected to these characters, mm -hmm. and it's hard to keep up in my mind like the order of events, like when people died, when the thing got blown up, when Ethan Hawke showed up, when uh, uh, Billy Rocks and them die on that like steep. Like there's just so much happening, and I I'm actually kind of confused about like what I saw, but it was kind of impressive. Yes. <laughs> From a, an action standpoint, it looked good. Yeah. Um, I guess just the motivations just really make it a little bit tough to kind of follow. Like, why are we doing this exactly? Right. right. But it's cool to look at, but eh, motivation could have been better. Yeah, I think so. So ultimately, um, 
ultimately, look, gets the job done. Like we, we same thing. Like seven people come to town. They help save the village. Uh, uh, the original, I think, does a good job of making that village feel important. And I think with the remake, uh, I just struggle to find that connection with the village. And I think that's what the main difference for me was in terms of these endings. Yeah, because especially because you have Chico decide to go with the yes. village because he sees that as the better life. And in the remake's ending, uh, you have it Vasquez and who else? Uh, what's oh, <laughs> Vasquez is alive. Um, Red uh, Red Harvest. Red Harvest yeah. is alive. So you have Red, uh, Vasquez and Red Harvest go off with uh, Sam. Sam, yeah. yeah. And yeah, none of them choose the village. Right. So, right. <laughs> so it, it it says that their lifestyle is still kind of like higher. I guess it's more important than yeah. you know raising a family and like being a farmer. Right. Like. You know, they came into the village to do a job. Mostly, uh, we find out, for revenge, for one character in particular. Once that revenge is satisfied, he goes on to do the things that he always did. There's not doesn't seem to be the same type of reflection. And I think um, the original does this good job of, like, these guys were on, like, the tail end of this lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I think it changes the way they approach this job. Um, like you mentioned, the $500, $800 versus $20. And twenty dollars for people that really maybe don't deserve your help, um, especially the way they treated you towards the end of the film. Um, but you know, ultimately, like even you know, you don't pick your hero. Like it's the hero Gotham needs at this moment <laughs> were these guys. Um, I don't know. I just felt like there was something just more sentimental about that. That um, it's a little hokey, I guess. But like, I, I enjoyed that aspect of of the film. I didn't get that um, from the remake. Yeah. Because the, the remake, you know, because the action is such a focus, mm -hmm. it really does glamorize the lifestyle of the seven. It does. It's just like, this is cool. They look cool. We want to be cool? Be cool like them. As opposed to the original where, like, the villagers think the cowboys are really cool. Well, you know, eventually. Right. And <laughs> so that lifestyle is, like, sort of glamorized, but then the cowboys themselves are just like, no, it's, it's, it hasn't been that great because we yeah. don't have we don't have a family, we don't have a home, we don't have this, 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 and this. We have so little compared to what these villagers have. Yeah. So, you know, it's each side is kind of like praising the other. Like, you know, the grass is greener on the other side yeah, kind totally, of situation. Totally. But you don't get that at all in the remake. Totally. I mean, like, you get to the point where um, one guy is like, in his town, they're like, hey, you should work at the grocery store. It's like, I killed 50 men. <laughs> I'm going to go like... Uh, work at the grocery store for the rest of my days. It's like, yeah, I guess, you know. When, at some point, you get off the ride, I guess. Um, so that's that's how those movies end ended. Um, I think we're at the portion of the discussion where we can say, definitively, uh, just because I, I think you're on the fence before you started, Dan, <laughs> should this remake exist? Yeah, so, yeah, I was telling Reggie before we started, I'm, I'm kind of coming into this on the fence. I really hadn't made a decision one way or the other, and I was hoping that our discussion would help. And I think it has. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that original Magnificent Seven, while I did have some issues with some of the things, like, sure. I did feel like that love story just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. But I guess that's just how they did it in the 60s, so I'm not going to complain too much. But I do like what they did with the village a lot in that original film. They just made it seem, you know, like a lifestyle that you would want to, like, quit that, you know, mercenary lifestyle for. 
like let's lay yeah, let's these people are fun well let's just maybe what we're doing isn't right i like that take on it because we are focused on these seven and you know the heroics and we're we are glorifying heroics but like at the end of the day for them personally it maybe it wasn't the right choice right so so yeah i really do like that and then there's like you know that sort of inner battle that they kind of put with like chico like mm -hmm. is he gonna or isn't he gonna like because he really like oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna be like them i can't wait to be the rest of my life just like chris and vin and you know, I was surprised that the remake didn't really play with that at all. Right. That they didn't have, first of all, that they didn't have a Chico character that this kind of, this wannabe that was following them. They made them all like very efficient in their particular field, which is, I guess, just a different way of killing. Right. And, you know, it's, they did a good job of making the characters different from one another in the remake for sure it's like okay i definitely just like describe each of them in, like one word as opposed to like the original like oh kind of the same right, right. Uh, but you know missing that motivation of like we got to do the right thing for the village you know is it hokey yes but that's kind of what the film's about i right. feel like at the end of the day it's like these guys are coming together they usually just do it for the money but this is the one time where they're, they're gonna all turn it around and try to do the right thing and while you kind of get that because, you know, Chris Pratt decided he's going to sacrifice himself for the sure. greater good, but it wasn't like, it wasn't a question, like, until that moment. Like, I wasn't thinking, like, is he not sure about his lifestyle or does he just kind of want to keep doing it? Like, it just seemed like, well, Chris Pratt's just going to keep doing Chris Pratt the whole movie. Yeah. He never had that, like, inner conflict of, like, man, it's a, do I need to do the right thing or just got to follow the money? So I, I missed that. And, you know... You just have a much better villain in Cabrera? Calvera. Yeah. You have just have a much better villain in Calvera. I really did not like Bogue at all. I thought he was, like I keep saying, a one-note, mustache-twirling villain. And uh, he just wasn't fun anytime on screen. And then just in general, like when there wasn't action in the remake, it was pretty boring. Right. And it was pretty by the books, like, seen all these tropes before, like I said, Ethan Hawke's character, like, man, I can't kill another person, I'm out of here, hey, I'm back, it's like, yeah, we all saw that coming, <laughs> you're not fooling yeah. anybody, so I don't feel like it did anything, like, really new, it did enough different to distinguish itself from the original film, but it's missing a lot of that heart that had, that it, the original film had, so... It's very close, but I'm just going to say it shouldn't exist just because it changed some of the things I wish it didn't change. And then at the end of the day, it's just pretty generic Western. And I don't, while the performances are pretty good, um, at the end of the day, the film's pretty meh. Yeah. So it, you know, meh, it's got to be a little bit more than meh for me to say it should exist. That's yeah, super fair. Um, yeah, I was interested to see where you were uh, going with that because I was a little bit more... Um, settled in my opinion about the film um there are things uh from a narrative perspective that i really enjoy about the original i've harped on it a couple of times but like the scene where chris and uh vin roll through the town taking on danger to bury uh a native american um you know who fought just like the rest of them that that resonated with me i was like that feels like a really smart way to introduce these two characters um this idea of Chico kind of like being in the background, wanting to be one of them and, you know, having to deal with his own I idea of who he is as a person. Cause like ultimately he is just a peasant farmer, like everyone, 
like that village. Um, but they elevated that, I guess, lifestyle by the end of the film where like you've got these like hardened gunslingers saying like, man, I kind of wish I was like a, <laughs> a peasant farmer, you know, like that, it's kind of impressive um, what they do with Bernardo. Like, you know, again, we can kind of talk about how they end up portraying people from Mexico, right. but like um, uh, for, let's just say from the narrative in the story, um, I think it was handled fairly fairly well and um like that bernardo connection like all these things that i'm saying like these these they build up they build out this story they give you this um this kind of sentimental like farewell to the west type of uh story arc that's just not really in the remake um the remake to your point is hitting notes that i would expect in a western mm -hmm. it hits them competently and consistently but like you said uh Ethan Hawke, of course, we know that guy's gonna come back. He's gonna shoot somebody. What? Twenty minutes in, you're not shooting people. You're gonna be shooting somebody. <laughs> but in the movie, um, having like the sort of noble uh, Comanche, you know, like silent killer, you know, it's like all right, whatever. Um, the the woman who like could have maybe been a really interesting character, but ultimately she's just like a widow that can shoot a gun from time to time. Like, seen it. Seen it, done it. Um, even like Denzel's character, he's a great actor. Like, I've seen the guy come to town on a horse, you know, with a warrant shooting people. So like, it, it's it's a really generic western mm -hmm. that's born from a film that's an interesting adaptation of a Japanese film. So it's like you've got this revolutionary Japanese film about samurais. The entire story is laid out there for you. Um, you know, I haven't fully watched Seven Samurai yet, but like the Western, that is the Magnificent Seven from 1960, from my understanding, pretty much just adapts it and does that well. Mm -hmm. um, this film kind of tries to adapt the adaption and it's uh, it misses some of the things that I liked about the first film. And because of that, I, you know, I'm in the same boat like, Hey, look, if you like the film, maybe like action, maybe like westerns, that's okay. But like for what the source material and what the movie could have accomplished, I don't think this remake should exist because um, literally like I would tell you either one, go watch Seven Samurai, the first Magnificent Seven, or if you want to watch a modern adaptation, we talked about this film before, go watch 310 to Yuma because that's a really interesting western with cool arts and um, a fascinating story. Like if this movie if it's like a 310 to yuma was with this setting i think that would have been badass and like unfortunately uh you know fuqua and, and you know the screenwriters like they don't quite capture what makes the magnificent seven special mm -hmm. they just made a decent western so no i can't yeah. i can't really recommend it um as a remake yeah they tried to just make the the Magnificent Seven, like, a little more badass, I yeah. feel. I don't really feel like they did anything to, like, even tell the right, the same story. Right. <laughs> They're just going to find yeah. seven really cool people protecting the village, and it's going to look awesome. And it does look pretty good, not going to lie. But, you know, based on seeing what we have with the source material, they could have done more with it, for sure. And, like I said, I had seen this remake before. Right. When I first saw it, I was bored to tears, yeah, it was, right? It was only interesting this time because I was able to compare it with the original. That's fair. And, you know, oh man, it was just, I, it was just so 
Yeah, by the numbers. It's so rote. I had to like go back earlier today and force myself to watch like the middle half of the movie because I like just kind of checked out during that entire sequence the first time. And uh, yeah, I was I was actually bored as well throughout a lot of the film. Like I, I had hope for it early on, like that first 30 minutes, I was like, okay, you know, Chris Pratt. But then it just kind of meanders into what it becomes. And I just, there was not enough interesting things happening to keep me fully invested. Cause I was like, all right, here's, I've seen this type of character before. I've seen that type yeah. of character before. No one was doing anything like spectacular mm -hmm. in those roles. And the changes they made to the seven didn't do anything to no. elevate the story. It wasn't like, oh, we gotta have this this guy who's in the woods that right. is like a bear. Oh, we gotta have this Native American on the team because it's gonna do this to the seven. Mm -hmm. It didn't do anything to yeah. change the seven. Mm -hmm. So it just felt like again, just felt like diversity for diversity's sake. Totally. Just, we just we just need to have all these pieces and then, no for no reason. I just I just want different pieces. Yeah. Like um you know, you look at someone like Denzel's character, which is like, you kind of do want backstory on this guy, right? Like, why do we wait yeah. for motivation? Like, we see the scene where he uh, he's able to speak Comanche. It's like, well, damn, how'd that happen? You know, <laughs> like, um, it's cool that he has all these tricks in his bag, but, like, we don't know why. Um, Robichaud has probably the most fleshed out story, and even that's kind of loose. So, I don't know, like, there's just opportunities to do things, and um, something as simple as, like we said in the original, is like um, the Bernardo character being Mexican and Irish in a Mexican village actually elevates his character. Like, there's not stuff like that happening in this remake. And uh, um, I don't know, I think, they, I think they made it harder for themselves than they needed to. Yeah. Yeah, they really should have just stuck to the formula a little bit more. They just branched out a little bit too far, and then you kind of lost what the original movie was about. Yeah. In a way. I mean, yeah, would it have been kind of annoying to, like, make Chris Pratt basically Chico and have him hook up with Haley Bennett? Yeah, that would have been annoying, but I don't know, like... I mean, you could do it. You could have <laughs> worked. <laughs> like, those are the two... Like, when you look at that cast, you're like, okay... These two are like fit that like love interest vibe. Like yeah. out of everyone in the cast, like all right, these are two most likely candidates to have something going on. But, like no one does, which is fine. But like if no one does, I think then Haley Bennett's character needs to be like more like when we watch True Grit. Like it has to be more like a Halle type character. Right, She's yeah. got you got to get in there. You got to be in yeah, you gotta way get, more scenes. That's right, get in the shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Just should have just had her be one of the seven. I you know. Easily could have just done that. And then if you want like a love interest, like don't have it be her husband die. Maybe one of her like her parents or something. Sure. You know? So that way she's not a mourning widow. Morning widow. A morning. A morning widow. Morning widow. Yeah. So yeah, there's some small changes you could easily made to her character for the Chris Pratt, like for her and Chris Pratt to have yeah. like, a love scene together, yeah. or just a love story. But, you know, I do like that they didn't have it with what they same, did with their same. characters. But there is definitely a way. And just because that does make you just more endeared to the villagers. Mm -hmm. Like one of our seven like has a reason to stay. Right. Like any of them. Even if it was like uh, Red Harvest, right? Like if Red Harvest was like, oh, I found a place amongst these people because he's exiled. Right. Yeah, that could have easily worked. <laughs> like if, if like the town people, like, Again, kind of like we were saying in the original film, 
if you show that this town, for whatever reason, isn't racist <laughs> about like Native Americans, and Red Harvest like had a connection with someone in the village, it doesn't even have to be a love interest. Like yeah, it just be like the children. Yeah, or something, like, you know? they learn. They like bows and arrows now. You know, like. I don't know, man. Like, someone's got to stay behind. <laughs> we, we did it before, you know? You know, like, I mentioned Saving Private Ryan. We don't have to bring everybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> leave them, man. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's just one of those, those things where uh, if, and it's still kind of boring, but, like, if it wasn't tied to another property, maybe I could recommend it. But it's, like, you could literally just watch The Magnificent Seven. Or you could quite literally watch one of the greatest Japanese films of all time. And, you know, you're basically doing the same thing, but more <laughs> than this remake. It's, it's strange that they somehow lost something in the translation. Fair enough. All right, yeah, so that's what we thought. What did you guys think? Uh, definitely let us know in the comments. Do you agree with us? Disagree with us? We love hearing from you. All right, so Reggie, I think it's time to pick the next episode. Yeah. You picked Magnificent Seven, so... I think I got one. Okay. Uh, so I recently watched the Val Kilmer documentary that's on Amazon Prime. Nice. So I'm leaning towards a Val Kilmer movie. It's kind of a genre we, well, we kind of did. But anyway, um, so I'm thinking The Island of Dr. Moreau. Whoa. <laughs> All right. Hell yeah, dude. Yes. I can get behind that. I'm a, I'm a Kilmer fan um, for sure. So, you know, we'll find out if, if either of us have the experience with uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau. But yeah. Sounds great. I'm glad you thought of something, because I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so next film is Island of Dr. Moreau. Um, that pretty much does it for today. Um, like I said, um, if you're on YouTube, definitely leave us a comment. If you're not subscribed to us, you know, feel free to subscribe. Maybe give us a thumbs up. And if you're on, listen to this on iTunes, you know, feel free to give us a good review. Five stars. Help us uh, grow this thing we got going on. Totally. Like, comment, subscribe. Check us out on uh, Spotify, iTunes. Um, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, at Retro versus Remake. Um, working on keeping that up to date. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I like I said, from a comments perspective, we're hearing a lot of great things from people. Like, apparently a lot of people didn't know Mr. Deeds was a remake. So, you know, we're, we're educating the masses. <laughs> um, but yeah, this, this was good. Nice artsy kind of adaptation of Japanese film. I had fun with this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um, with that being said, I'm Reggie Parker. And I'm Dan Bulek. This has been another episode of Retro, Retro vs. Remake. Remake.